We got garbage bags. We got all kinds of this. It's it's chaos here this morning. Here in in the in the bunker. Welcome to the bunker. What's up, Goo Crew in the bunker? Welcome to the Jeff Gerstman Show. I'm Jeff Gerstman. Um, it is November, and uh, all things are cl- all things are cleansed. Cleansed. I don't know what uh, we're, we've been cleansed of the of October of of Halloween of all that sort of stuff, and uh, we are we are now past it. We are it is, now it is Christmas. That's it. It's November first. Happy Christmas, everyone. Happy holidays, happy uh, uh, Hanukkah, all that sort of stuff. It all starts today. And uh, get get your decorations out, get your wreaths out on the door, all that sort of stuff. We have had some kind of Christmassy wreath-like thing on our front door for about two or three weeks now. I don't know what it it is. It needs batteries, apparently. I, I, I think, it, but I don't think it takes batteries that I don't have. So. Uh, there's just been, there's been a lot going on. <laughs> um, yeah. So, Hey, if you're watching the video version, this is, I think the first version of the, the first uh, episode of the podcast with the, the new camera, I got it, uh, middle of last week and have been fooling around with it here and there. Not as much time to fool around with it as I would like. So it's still like, you know, it's got a, it's still set to autofocus. And so it'll still, well, now I've, now I've screwed up everything. And I don't know how to get it back. We've broken. We've broken the show. We've uh, we've destroyed the. Well, I, that's I, that's that shouldn't happen. Well, now it's. Uh, well, now if I do this again, that's okay. No, that's hello. You want? Okay, we'll just get a nice crisp look at my hand. We're doing hand modeling for the rest of the show. What in the heck? Oh my god! All right, we got his. Ah. Now we zoom back out. Ah, it broke again. It broke again. It's all, it's all, I don't know. It's all screwed up. Um, maybe we'll just, uh, we'll head over. Oh, wait, that doesn't work now. Oh gosh. All right. All right. This is. A disaster in the making. I'm sorry if you're watching the audio version. This is a, a ridiculous uh, the, the camera issue that I am fixing in a in a bad way. I'm making bad decisions here as we speak. And uh, now, well, now this is all great. Okay, welcome to the show. For some reason, doing that caused it to focus again, and so um, that's uh, that's great. Welcome to the hey, welcome to the Jeff Gersman Show. It's a podcast we do every week, Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time. We do it live on the internet. And so as a result, it's, it's, it's live on the internet. And so, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get this thing going. I, I was going to point at this camera again, and I realized that was going to make it go all blurry again. This is... The show for November 1st. If you want an ad-free version of this program, you can get it. Do you know how to get it? Head on over to dopeassvideogames.com. You can sign up for the Patreon. You get an ad-free version of the podcast and some additional bonus content is available there for you. Uh, I wrote up a little something on Gotham Knights recently. 
Uh, of course, uh, at, at the appropriate tier, you will get access to Game Boys to Men, the podcast of the 90s today, uh, and as well as our early access to the Jeff Gerson Hall of Fame. And you get on the Discord and all sorts of stuff like that. And uh, it's a good time on the Discord. Discord, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, you know, a lot of a lot of talk, a lot of hand wringing lately about Twitter and and what's going on over there, and and how bad is Twitter going to get, and how quickly is it going to get bad, and all that sort of stuff. And I realize that I I don't really I don't really spend that much time looking at Twitter that much anymore. It, it kind of it feels like its its moment had passed kind of a while ago, and so like as people hand wring about how bad it's going to get, I'm like, yeah, it's. It's not like it's been good, you know, like I'm sure there will be uh, some incredibly dumb decisions being made over the next uh, chunk of time here and uh, more, more power to them. If, Hey man, I bought (laughs) Turns out when you sell your company to somebody, they can ruin it because it's theirs. I'm talking about Twitter. I'm talking about Twitter. Um, anyway, what else is going on? My daughter is into my my daughter got into video games over the last gosh week and a half here maybe maybe two weeks it all kind of clicked in. I had uh, tried to um, I, I I let her I let her look at Pac Man. I, I let her look at some some various kind of like I'm I'm trying to like think like. What's going to get her to understand a, a controller and how a, how a video game controller works? Um, and so I went with Pac-Man because I was like, okay, you know, like not no buttons, like just get used to like directions on the D-pad corresponding to movement on the screen. That seemed like the the right move. Um, and she just, you know, she would move around a little bit, but it wasn't it wasn't really. It's not really sinking in and, and, and on that level. And so um, she really wanted to play games w- with Princess Peach. She knew that somehow, I don't know how this happened, but she knew somehow that Princess Peach was from video games. She has a Princess Peach puppet, uh, you know, like a little tiny little uh, pu- puppet that we got a while ago from a friend at Nintendo. Um, and... Um, and uh, she's she's kept that around. She knows who Princess Peach is, all this other stuff. And so I tried having her play Super Princess Peach for the DS. Um, here on this PC, sitting in sitting in this chair that I'm sitting in now, and um, it's still you know handing a handing a child an Xbox controller is um, there's a lot of buttons on it. And there are a lot of buttons that do, th- you know, will will quit a game sometimes, and all all sorts of stuff like that. And so there's a, there are ways to disable that stuff on the controller and on the keyboard. And so I can give that to her and 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 let her try to just run back and forth. And she can run to the right, but not so much to the left. She's not really she hasn't really dialed in that whole thing. So we moved to uh, Mario Kart for the GBA, and. Um, she just, she likes driving around, but she'll just kind of drive into the wall a lot. And so I have to change tracks every minute or so when she gets fed up with the track, she'll like, no daddy, I want the, the, I want the ghost, the ghost castle now and I'll have to change it. Uh, the beach is the best track. If you, if you can't steer, 
if you're a child and you can't use a D-pad and thus you can't steer properly in a Mario Kart game, the beach is the track that you will finish because as you drive into the water, uh, the Lakitu will continually pick you up and put you back on the track. And so you will go forward at least a little bit further and then go in the water again and get pulled out and go a little bit further. And so you will eventually finish that race. Uh, all the races with walls on the sides of the tracks, no dice, no deal. Cause, uh, she'll just bump into the, into the wall over and over again. And, uh, and, and not really be able to figure that out, but you know, yeah, you, you drive as princess peach in, in Mario Kart. That's, that's worked out reasonably well. She was into animal crossing on the three DS and she has all but stopped talking about that. She picked it up again this week after, weeks of forgetting about it she's like i want to play animal crossing let me play my game let me play and i'm like no we're trying to eat food she's like let me play my game I'm like okay all right you play your game um gamers am i right this is that when they talked about the study about gamers being toxic this is what had this is what they were talking about um so in animal crossing she knows all she's playing my wife's town uh she's a, she's a non-mayor in my wife's town she made a a character for her um, when, when we had COVID, when we were sick and laid up and stuff. And so, um, she walks around and, and talks to the neighbors and she, you know, but she also has ideas about like things she wants to do that the game does not allow for. Like we caught a bug and she was like, let me give, I would, I want to give the bug to Rowan. And I have to kind of fill in the blanks on and write my own story on the way and be like, Rowan doesn't like bugs when we go talk to him and stuff like that, because you can't just give anything to anyone. I guess you could wrap it up in a present and, and send it that way. Maybe I'll do that next time. But, um, so yeah, I don't know. Uh, she likes walking around towns. She, she lets, she loves it when I fish. She likes me to fish for her and all this other stuff. But we hit upon yesterday. Um, she went and grabbed it. I, f- I forgot all about it, but she went and grabbed it and wanted to play with it. And, um, we hit upon a game that I think she's actually like totally capable of understanding but she's going to have a little bit of trouble at the later levels. And that is Kranken's time travel adventure for the play date, which is uh Keita Takahashi's game where you just turn the crank to run and you turn the crank backwards to run backwards. And something that that rewinds time basically, but there are some things that operate out of step with time. So you're kind of like positioning your character. Like if your character is jumping over an obstacle and there's an item running at you, like a, a pig running at you that's low, while you are in the air over the obstacle, if you stop, the pig will keep moving and run under you, and then you will not uh, take a hit there. And so um, she could turn that crank like nobody's business. And she, you know, like the, she picked up from my save wherever I left off on one of the harder pig levels that they actually nerfed and made a little bit easier. But, um, yeah, I don't know. She seems to understand it. She's like, oh, I got hit by this. I got hit by this thing. She's like, we'll try it again. Okay. And then she'll spin the crank some more and, and all that sort of stuff. And it's interesting to see her kind of like understand the, that there is a goal of like not getting hit and that there's an objective of like getting to this thing. I don't think she understands like, oh, you're supposed to be waking up and meeting some lady for a date or, you know, whatever the, the storyline stuff, but it seems like it's kind of the first game where she understands that there's like a thing to do, you know, that you're supposed to be, that there's like, that there's an actual, actual objective to, to accomplish. And, uh, 
it's interesting to watch her gears turn as she is turning the crank um, and and all that sort of stuff. And now I realize I don't know where that play date is and hopefully she doesn't lose it. Uh, better that, that, you know, better she's uh, using that because it's nice and self-contained. She had been grabbing the, um, you know, that now that this shot is back in, in frame, I'm going to, um, I'm going to go back to this single camera shot here for a bit. Um, she had been grabbing the remote control to my, uh, retro tink. And these, these captions are not working for some reason. That's fine. Um, which I need for the RetroTink. The RetroTink is a uh, upscaler converter. Like it'll take uh, whatever you throw at it connection wise and it'll spit it out. It'll upscale it to 1080 and spit it out uh, via HDMI if you so desire. And so it's been very handy for uh, playing 3DO games uh, here, which is what I have hooked up to it currently, as well as this is a, there's a Saturn here uh, too. I have a SCART cable for the Saturn, but the. Um, but the 3DO just spits out S-Video. Anyway, I have this 3DO ODE with, uh, you know, 600 3DO games on it and stuff like that. So I've been, I've been futzing around with that and having a good time with that. Um, but at some point, the RetroTink firmware, like there are buttons on the device itself. But at some point, it, after several firmware updates, they redid the UI and all this stuff. And now it's like, you must own a remote control to use this device at all. And so she loves to grab that remote control, pretend it's a phone and then run away with it. And so it was missing for about two days there. And, uh, you know, that's a, that's a problem. <laughs> so if she wants to run around with the play date, uh, I would strongly prefer that to making off with the, the, the my ability to play 3do games. If you want like a ranking of consoles uh, of all time, uh, I guess then we can start with the first two ranked 3DO right there at number one. And at number two, bringing up the rear is the play date. So if you want, if you want to know about that, that's, uh, that's where that stuff uh, lives right now. Arbitrary water says, is the 3DO the best bad console? It's not, I mean, n- n- hmm. Hmm. I think if we're looking at if we if we want to think about the ways that the consoles were received when they initially came out, and uh, and how and how that went for them, I might you know this is going to be an even more brutal thing to say, I suppose. But the Turbo Graphics is the best bad console. Um, because when the Turbo Graphics came out in the U.S., it was not well received, like at all. It's not until people got more access to more of those games and, and more of the games that only came out in Japan and, and really started looking at the library as a whole that I think the, you know, that, that you can look at that and go like, wait, no, yeah, of course, the PC engines, like the, it has amazing software on it. If you think about when it came out, uh, that's a big deal. And, and what it was competing against at the time and, and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, like it was a, um, yeah. And then of course, yes, the 3DO was a trillion dollars. You know, it was like Neo Geo pricing, you know, like that's the problem with a lot of those consoles, like the 3DO and the CDI, 
and the Neo Geo, like all these things. It was like, here's the next generation and everything's $500 minimum. And you're like, who would pay $500 for a fucking console? That's stupid. Only some kind of weird asshole would play, pay that kind of money for a console in this day and age. And now look at us. Well, at least it's not $600. But then again, none of these consoles have cell processors in them. So, you know, what are you going to do? What we're going to do is we're going to take a brief break and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about some video games, multiple games with the initials VS. I I know I'm it's crazy. Uh, And we'll be back uh, very shortly. I need to push this button and then this button. Okay. And then this. Just when you thought you were getting used to this whole hot, summer sticky night thing bang winter is upon us and that means a fresh struggle in the fight against bad temperatures when you sleep it's always a struggle trying to figure out like oh man i I just gotta find that right temperature when i sleep so i can just sleep perfectly well miracle brand is here to make that struggle smooth because they've got silver infused bed sheets that were inspired by NASA. That's right, NASA. Hey, these sheets have self-cooling properties for better quality sleep. They use these silver-infused fabrics that were originally developed by NASA. So these sheets are thermoregulating and designed to keep you at the perfect temperature all night long so you get better sleep every night. Miracle Brand sheets are also infused with that natural silver. You know what else that does? It prevents 99.9% of bacterial growth. So that helps them stay cleaner longer. And you know what cleaner sheets means? Cleaner skin. You're not sleeping on a bunch of gunk. You're not clogging up your pores, all that sort of stuff. Miracle brand sheets stay cleaner so that your body can stay a little bit cleaner as well. That's nice. And they make the perfect holiday gift. Miracle sheets can be that perfect gift for your spouse, friends, family. Who doesn't want better sleep and luxurious feeling bed sheets? And hey, this offer comes with three free towels. That's a two in one. That's two gifts in one. That's like you signed up for one gift and you got two gifts just in time for the holidays. You can't beat that. Go to trymiracle.com slash Jeff to try it today or gift it to someone special this holiday season. And we've got a special deal right here, right now. Save over 40%. Be sure to use the promo code Jeff at checkout to save even more and get three free towels. Miracle is so confident in this product. It is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Brand. Go to trymiracle.com slash Jeff and use the code Jeff to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Wait a minute. Over 40? I thought 40%. Now they're saying over 40%. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash Jeff to treat yourself a friend or a loved one or even a loved friend this holiday season. And thanks to Miracle Brand for sponsoring the episode. And we're back. Hello, everyone. It's time to talk about video games. Some might say we're well past the point that we should have been talking about video games all along, but what are you going to do? Vampire Survivors, it hit 1.0. We streamed a little bit of this last week. I, you know, look, there's not much I can say that you probably haven't seen yourself. 
I guess so. The, it's in, I could have sworn that this game has been in game preview on the Xbox for a while now. I'm I'm almost certain of it, right? I'm not crazy, right? But they, the press releases that they're sending out are, oh, it's only on Game Pass on PC. Okay, that makes more sense. Got it. Okay. So it is coming to Xbox uh, Series X, I guess, uh, in, the, in the relatively near future. But I, man, I could have sworn that that happened already. Because I remember distinct, I remember thinking, oh, I need to play it here and see if it has achievements. Um, because it would be fun to get Xbox achievements, I guess, along the way here. Uh, because Steam achievements have zero value. I don't know why that is. It's because someone just wrote something that'll unlock achievements. There's just an app you can run and you can just unlock whatever achievements you want. Seeing that, maybe that made me feel that, that Steam achievements are absolutely valueless. But uh, for some reason, the console numbers feel more real. Even though I've definitely, I've seen people hack Xbox achievements in the past. They at least, at least those accounts do sometimes get banned. Um, Anyway, uh, yes, so that that must be what it was. I I was trying to play it on PC. But it is coming out on Xbox. It is coming to Game Pass. So you can save that $5. (laughs) Um, And uh, and, and check out Vampire Survivors that way, if you so choose. And um, yeah, so I, I, you know, I've played quite a bit of Vampire Survivors over the last, what is it, year or something now. But I never really got super deep into it. Um... I played a lot of it before it had a lot of levels and now it seems like it has a whole lot more levels and, and all that sort of stuff. And, and so going back to it, uh, we tried out the Twitch mode, which it, it has a Twitch chat interaction, uh, available that lets, uh, basically it takes choices out of your hands. So when you level up in that game, if you haven't played it, uh, every time you level up, you get to choose a weapon or an item. Basically what this does is it turns that into a user vote. Uh, for your Twitch chat, they choose which weapon you get. They choose which item you get every time you level up. And then occasionally a special vote will show up in the corner for like a random event. And uh, when we did it, yeah, when, when we stream, streamed that out last week, everyone was very nice. And I got way more items than one should be able to get in a normal run of that game because everyone kept voting uh, it's for nice things instead of bad things. And so we, you know, we finally crushed that stupid third level. I, I, the, I like that game a lot. I think the dairy level, I, I don't, I don't like it. So, uh, so we're past that now and, and maybe I, maybe I will never play that level again. I don't know, but, um, it was neat to see how the Twitch integration worked. I like it when games do that. It, it's not always, um, it's not, you know, like I, I think that sometimes that stuff can be used in interesting ways, but sometimes it, it it's the sort of thing that you try once and go, eh, all right, whatever. I think you suck at parking. Of, of the stuff I played recently, uh, you suck at parking with its chaos mode that lets users just spend channel points on spawning the worst obstacles in the world over and over again. It makes like if you've got a if you've got an active chat that have been building up channel points for a, a good long time with nothing else to spend them on on Twitch for example, then uh, you suck at parking can be absolute an, an absolute disaster in that chaos mode. But that's, I, it's pretty fun. It's pretty fun. Uh, the vampire savior uh, survivors, uh, vampire, no, let's talk about this, vampire savior Twitch chat mode. Get infinite EX moves. Um, 
the 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 chat mode in in Vampire Survivors is is really neat. And but also, you know, like we we went through it and and everyone was very nice. So I was able to load up on extreme items like I was untouchable, like all that sort of stuff. It was it was very cool. But people could be jerks and vote for disastrous items and then also disastrous events to happen and, and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, it, it's obviously that thing. It cuts both ways, as they say. So I think that's really neat. Uh, also, on the VS front, we played a game called Void Scrappers, which is another one of these auto uh, auto shooter survival games. And Void Scrappers is you're a ship in space, and so there's a little bit of inertia on your ship as you're moving around, but maybe not enough. I don't know. I want something that's a little more computer space, a little more asteroidsy on the movement, I guess. But it's not. It's not quite that. And uh, Void Scrappers is early. Now, remember when Vampire Survivors was early and and how it was like, oh, it's got some weapons and all this other stuff. And now you look at it and go, wow, all these things really tied together in some really awesome ways. Uh, Void Scrappers doesn't really have that at the moment. It's, uh, It's really, you know, these tiny ships just kind of rush at you. And you can just do circles around them and keep kiting them around and shooting them and and taking them out that way and and all that sort of stuff. It's a it's got potential though. I feel like that and Project Lazarus. It's the weird thing about Vampire Survivors is as much as I think it's cool, it it also makes me want to play other games like this. Like it doesn't make me want to like really sit down and focus and unlock everything in Vampire Survivors. Like I, I for whatever reason I want to jump around to all these different games. And and see what else is it has is going on in there. Whether it's Survivor IO on the phones, Magic Survival on my burner Android phone that is around here somewhere because it's not on iOS, um, or uh, Void Scrappers or Project Lazarus or Bone Bone Crusher Bone Crusher Bone Crusher Smith, uh, Bones Bone something Bone Storm Minions Bone something Minions. Bone something minions. Whatever that game is called. Is it Bone Crusher Minions? It's not Bone Crusher. Bone Razor Minions. Thank you, Bryn. Bone Crusher Smith. Um. I well, all right. Okay. We're no no. Okay. I'm not gonna just talk to you about uh Longmont Potion Castle for the next 45 minutes. I've made the command decision. You can go find out about Bone Crusher Smith on your own. Um, all those games are neat in their own ways. And so a big part of it is I really like the idea of, of just seeing how different developers are putting these pieces together because they're so derivative. But the weird thing is, is when they are less derivative, they feel less good. Like I, I really feel like Vampire Survivors have created a really complete template for this style of game. It was not the first game to do this but um the developer's done an amazing job with that game and in terms of of building it out adding more stuff more characters more options all that other stuff and so when you see project lazarus which is a mech themed game like this um you're like okay well what do the mechs what do the mechs do like oh okay one of them has tank treads and so it turns in a very specific annoying way and this one has legs, so it you know can walk in any direction the way you expect. This one is all torso twist, but this one's no torso twist. So you end up in in 
yeah, like the the movement in Project Lazarus becomes different uh, quite a bit from mech to mech. And that's interesting, but also it means I like half those characters I never want to play because the, the mechs are some of the some of the mechs are very annoying to use. Um, yeah, I don't know this this genre. So I I have been writing out a list, and uh, for the for the Gersman advisory panel when we get to our game of the year voting portion of the year, which now that is November first, really we I gotta I gotta get this into into place here. Um. Uh, we're going to be voting on categories such as, uh, this is subject to change, I should say, but these are the things I jotted down. Ass of the year. Auto, uh, be, meaning, uh, a, sorry, A period, S period, S period of the year. Auto shooting survival game of the year. What's your favorite ass game? Scissor me daddy ass game. All that sort of stuff. Um, and we'll, we'll get your votes and, and potentially some impassioned pleas that, uh, if people want to contribute things to be read aloud on, on whatever the game of the year show is, that stuff is still coming together, honestly. So, but yes, primarily it'll be a a voting sort of thing for the Gersman advisory panel. And then, uh, you know, maybe we'll open up a couple of categories to the, to the world at large as well and kind of see what, what that's about. I'm all, because because I'm also curious about like Steam Deck Game of the Year. I think that's a that's a an interesting category this year as well. Um, so whatever, I'm over here thinking about categories for for folks to vote on, and and you know I, I will of course have my choices of uh the games I liked this year. You know, it's a pretty long. I, I started jotting it down a while ago. Uh. And it, it's a pretty solid, like, if I if I was jotting this down, this would normally be like, oh, if I'm writing out my top 10 or whatever, like, how many games can I come up with? And sometimes I get to November, and sometimes that it's like seven games. And I'm like, ugh, okay. I can't even come up with 10. And, huh? 10 games that deserve to be on a list. That's, mm. uh, But I'm at, like, I'm at 14 right now, and I still have a lot of games left to play. Um... Yeah, but I'm sorry. I've spent the last week or so thinking about game of the year ballots and voting and all of the other stuff because there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, anyway, sorry, I closed this document and reopened the podcast document. Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 is also widely available um, across multiple consoles and PC and all that sort of stuff. It has been interesting on the pc it's been sort of a shit show for some folks i have had a couple of crashes on the pc version of the game they disabled a couple of features like the ability to ping the map and and there's like a you know there's an ability to tune your guns when you get them up to max level you can you can adjust the tuning on them in a more analog fashion as opposed to just like put a bipod on it or whatever and i guess something about that tuning was broken and so they disabled it and that's weird uh the driver situation on pc for nvidia has been like people are almost coming people are coming up with conspiracy theories about it at this point i perhaps i will turn to this email if i can get my email to load one email not loading well today um but basically an nvidia driver came out the day before modern warfare came out and was like, 
hey, this is a good driver for uh, Sackboy's Little Big Adventure, or whatever that game is called. The Sackboy game that just came out on PC after uh, having come out on PC. In fact, I'm just gonna, I will open up the NVIDIA GeForce experience and see what it says here um, about the driver. Our new driver gets your system ready for Sackboy A Big Adventure, Victoria 3, WRC Generations, the FIA WRC official game, and F122's DLSS 3 update. Download and install now. So normally, like when a big game is coming out, they've got a new driver like at launch or the day before or or whatever. Um, NVIDIA is usually pretty good about that, but there's no mention of that. In fact, you know, when people asked NVIDIA like, hey, your driver seems to be really fucking up modern warfare. They were like, well, yes, you'll notice we didn't mention it in the notes for our, uh, for our most recent driver. So, you know, uh, and they're working on a hot fix apparently. Hopefully that'll hit soon, but it, it causes a lot of like just the, the screen will flicker. Weird textures will pop. I had a couple of fucking trippy cases where I would, uh, I, like sometimes just, it was like, I was looking directly into a light and suddenly everything would just like white out. And or and then like the gun texture would start leaving snake trails on the ground. It's fucking fucked up, bro. And it was like my gun was just like everywhere. And I was like, man, this what is up with these guns, bro? We need to be about peace, man. We've got to be about peace, bro. Can't be like this, bro. I can't have multiple guns. It's got to be just one gun. Um. So that's weird. The game crashed on me a couple of times. Nothing major. Um. And then also, uh, we, we I was streaming it. I guess that was Friday, right? Is that is this game just come out on Friday? Am I? Is it really just still the first weekend with this, or has it been a full week? I can't even tell anymore. Time is a scary thing. Um, if I have OBS open as it is right now, um, the frame rate in that game in the frame rate in modern warfare two takes a huge dive and it becomes very like, it's not even just that the frame rate takes a dive because normally it runs about 165 Hertz on this screen because that's what this screen can do. And then the benchmark will go from 165 to like 97. If I have OBS open, because it does have a little benchmark thing that it will run. Um, but it's not just, if it just ran at 97 or you'd be like, okay, well fucking great, whatever. Uh, but it's actually super fucking stuttery. And so the the frames become very uneven. These frames do not win games, is what I'm saying. These frames lose games because it runs poorly and it is very juddery, stuttery, and fluttery. And that's no good. And as soon as you close OBS, it's all back to normal. Even if you're not capturing the game in OBS, the physical act of having OBS open, even if it's not streaming, even if you've got it set to CPU instead of GPU, all this, you know, I've spent a couple of hours really uh trying a lot of different obs settings to see if like one of them would just magically make it you know make the game run better but no it's it's crazy it's it's really weird so i don't know hopefully that gets fixed as well it would be nice to stream some more of that game uh and and running on the pc whatever you know i can always stream the console versions um which both both run fine the console versions are capable of 120 frames per second and they seem to look fine when you're doing that. So, you know, uh, you can, you can kind of run it there too. And you know, that that's all aside from the part where I, this is, I think this is a really great call of duty year. I think this is an outstanding year for call of duty. 
I think that the maps are a lot of fun. I think the the unlocking of stuff is convoluted, but it actually is is done in a way. So normally when a Call of Duty comes out, I find that I am making like one or two different loadouts. And it's just like, here's how I played this game every year. And blah, let's, let's go, whatever. Let me, I'm going to pick this type of gun, this type of secondary weapon, these types of perks, whatever. And then, and then we'll get out there and, and, and do it. And I'm never inspired to do anything different this year because of the way they've made the unlocks work because of the way they've made attachments unlock. I have six different created classes right now with different types of weapons on them because I'm having varying levels of success with the different types of weapons on different maps. And so it's a situation where it's like, Hey, um, for this indoor map, a little bit tighter. I want a submachine gun because the range is going to be a little bit lower because we're indoors and all this other stuff. So that's going to be a more effective weapon here. Or, Hey, you know, there's a, some really crazy sight lines in this map. Um, in this border crossing map with all these cars, I'm going to take something with a different scope on it. I'm going to take, so there's like map specific loadouts, but also because you want to unlock all of this stuff, you are, you are, um, compelled to use a lot of different types of weapons to unlock even more different types of weapons. Like it's not just, it's usually it's like all the weapon unlocks are on your regular XP path where it's like when you hit max level, all the weapons are open, blah, blah, blah. Now it's like, okay, you get the assault rifle version of this of this weapon, but if you get that up to level 12, we will unlock the submachine gun version of that weapon, and if you get that up to level 16, we will give you the battle rifle version of that weapon. And so you're incentivized to try each of the different weapon platforms and unlock all the different weapons, and it's it's really awesome. It is and and the game feels worth it. It doesn't feel like you're just doing it for the sake of unlocks. It feels like, oh no, like tactically, this is a better loadout for this situation, whether that's a map specific thing or a mode specific thing. Uh, and so it is inspiring in a weird way to like feel like, oh, I really want to get into this and really dig around in the nitty gritty and, and figure out like, okay, what are the right attachments here for me for the way I play? Not just whatever the fucking meta is, because obviously everyone's out there going like, this is fucking objectively the best loadout for this and this and this. And it's like, I went and read some of those and I was like, okay, I see what you're going for here. But like, no, like I, I run too much for this to be good. So I need something that has better sprint to fire speed or, you know, or whatever it is. Um, and, and so like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm having a really good time just experimenting with all the different stuff and I'm using sniper rifles, which I never do in these games. Um, because the attachments that unlock from them are useful on other weapons. It's not just more sniper rifle attachments. And so, yeah, I got my first gold camo. That's something that was much in before, you know, this is not, I, they have made it much easier in some situations to get gold camo in, in these, uh, in this game than they have done in years past. So the default weapon, the first assault rifle you get, all you got to do is unlock the first four. Like, uh, uh, you got to level up the gun, basically get some kills. And then from there, it's like, Hey, get three kills without dying. 10 times and then we'll give you the gold camo for this gun so i have like a shiny fucking gold m4 which is ridiculous as in i this is maybe the second time since 2007 that i've gotten gold camo in a call of duty game of any kind 
And I want to say, man, I can't remember when they started doing gold camo. If it was, I don't think it was Modern Warfare 1. Um, but like, you know, anyway, like they, I, I got a gold camo for the first time in probably a decade or more. And that's fun. And there's a lot of the stuff like that to earn if you so choose and, and all that. I, but I really like the maps in this game, generally speaking. There's, there's a couple that I just sometimes have a really shitty time on. Um, but not all the time. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm enjoying the maps, generally speaking. For Team Deathmatch, at least, like some of the domination points and stuff like that are not always perfect. But like I am really just having fun jumping into it, playing a few matches, and leaving and doing something else. The additional modes, like I'm not into the objective stuff. So, you know, they added stuff like Knockout and Prisoner Rescue and like all these other little things that are like no respawn, revive your teammate stuff. It's like, look, if I wanted to do that shit, I would still be playing Counter-Strike, you know? Like, I don't... Even when I play Counter-Strike, I play fucking gun games so I can respawn. I just don't want to fucking do that. Um, I, I play video games to play video games, not to wait until the next goddamn round. <laughs> so, um... So, yeah, I want to be able to respawn and keep fucking shooting, and and that's what I'm looking to do. So yeah, I'm, I'm having a really good time with that stuff. The invasion mode and ground war, which take place on much bigger maps and have more like vehicles and stuff like that on them. That stuff's super fun. It's just a good time across the board. Uh, I haven't really tried. We, we, I I played one of the three co-op maps, uh, when I was streaming on Friday and it was okay. It's, it's two player co-op and it, it, it was very, it was a pretty straightforward, like just defend these points from AI kind of thing. And it was fine. I guess the other two missions, one's more of a quiet kind of sniper thing. And the other one I think has vehicles and stuff in it. But, um, but yeah, that stuff seems like on paper seems fun. The one mission I did was fun enough, not enough to, you know, like I, I don't know that I'm going to do those maps over and over again, the co-op stuff. Like when I I ran it and I was like, I got my three stars. Cool. I don't know that I'm going to do this, uh, ever again, but but we'll see. Um, but yeah, I, I think that competitive multiplayer is super fun. It's been interesting watching people complain about it. Obviously, everyone is going to complain about everything. I feel like the common complaints every year in a Call of Duty game are people going like, oh, these spawns are terrible. Um, and yeah, sometimes they are. I don't know. Like sometimes I spawn less than a second away from getting shot. You know, like I'm spawning in someone's crosshairs. It happens. Um, I've kind of just come to terms with it. It's like, yeah, I don't know. Sometimes that happens and it's whatever. <laughs> uh, sometimes it happens the other way and you shoot somebody and you go, ah, it's fucking laser tag. I don't know. Like I, I'm not, you know, like, like I'm not looking for militaristic realness or anything like that. So when, you know, it, it, that said, I know, and I, I know just enough about guns to, find it really weird that they all have fake names now when they have used real gun names uh, like for a lot of guns over the years like a lot of that stuff is now replaced or you know like you look at a gun and you're like that's an mp5 and like actually no it's a you know and then whatever they've got some other name for it or, or, or something like that but whatever that's, that's licensing or, or whatever right they didn't want to pay for gun names or, or they thought it was not appropriate to keep paying money to gun companies, which I, yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I can. Yes. Um, and, and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, it, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. 
And it's also, like I said, it, it, people have had their complaints and, and it's the standard stuff. It's the spawn stuff and then the skill-based matchmaking stuff, which is just the emptiest argument um, in games. And I think it has been for years. And I think that a lot of it comes out of people that stream this game exclusively. Um, watching a guy saying like, I'm not going to stream this game because every match is so sweaty. I did the term sweaty is so fucking dumb when we're talking about this shit. I just, but like, they're like, oh, I don't want to have to play against people that are at the same skill level as me. Like, oh, well, how about fuck you? Like, oh, what, you just want to play against the random population even though you stream this game fucking 12 hours a day, five days a week or whatever? So, like, obviously you're good at it. Like, what, you you need to be able to make your highlight videos for TikTok? Like, oh, my social stuff won't be as good if I don't go 18 and 0. Go fuck yourself. This game sells millions of copies to people who aren't like you. Uh, the game is much better for catering to a wider audience than it is to try to like fucking like narrowly focus on some kind of esports or, or like you know like really um, trying to appease the like quote unquote pro player. Like that's not why anyone's here. No, that doesn't make the game better for the majority of players. Like, oh, I I need to be able to, oh, I just, I want to be able to have a relaxing time playing against people that are way worse than me. Fuck off. Go fuck yourself. Go fucking play something else. Fucking go back to Fortnite. I don't know. Go, go fuck, fuck off. It is, it is in some ways, it is like the, it is similar to the problem that a game like Street Fighter V had, right? I mean, we think about Street Fighter V and some of its problems at launch. They were very focused on that kind of esports crowd and all that sort of stuff. And, um, and then you look at Street Fighter VI and the things that they are doing to kind of make that game appeal to a wider audience in the way that a fucking Street Fighter game should. Because Street Fighter isn't just esports. It isn't just super high-level competitive play. It's Street Fighter. They've made movies. They've made fucking action figures. Like, all this shit over the years. Millions of people, theoretically, can get into a Street Fighter game. But if you make it this narrow focus on just like, well, we've put all these features in here and we we left out a story mode because who cares? And Like, if you're really just trying to appease the pro player, you're leaving so much... I mean, you're leaving fucking money on the table, right? You're leaving... Millions of people, but forget forget the money aspect of it. You're making a game that like the millions of people that could want to play your game want to play it less. And so I look at all this stuff and you know, people are like, oh, I can't believe this year's Call of Duty doesn't have bunny hopping and it doesn't have slide canceling and doesn't have all this like, fuck you, good, whatever. That's fine. You know, it, it would need to go one way or the other. It would need to have an extensive tutorial teaching the average player what all that shit is and why it matters. Or just fucking take it out. Like, who cares? It doesn't need it. I think this is the best game they have made since 2019. Um, eh, You know what? This, th- In some ways, I think this game is better than, than the first Modern Warfare reboot. Um... I think that the, it's got really good maps in it. There's some maps in, in the previous Modern Warfare that I really like a lot and would still go back and play sometimes. Um, 
But yeah, it's um, I think it's a hell of a game this year, and I, I think it's something that has a much wider appeal to a much wider audience. They they've made a game that I think anyone can pick up a play and you know, and being matched up against people that are of a similar skill to you is the whole fucking point of online competitive video games. If it's just going to match you up at random with someone who just fucking completely stomps you, are you going to keep playing it? No. No, of course not. So I, you know, I don't know. Like it's, it's funny watching all these fucking people go like, and, and they've been caught a couple of times being like, Oh, well, Halo 2, I think Halo 2 was the big example, I think. It was just like, well, Halo, it was good back then. And then someone who worked on that was like, that game super has fucking skill-based matchmaking. Like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Like, it's, you know, like, Xbox has a patent, I think, on, I forget what they call it. It's not gamer score. It's, um, they have an invisible number. It's not your, it's not MMR, but there, there, there is some sort of like behind the scenes Xbox player matching thing that they have always had at a system level that developers can tap into back on the, I want to say the, even the original Xbox had this stuff. Um, but definitely by the time the 360 rolled around, they, they had this where it was just like, Hey, you know, true skill. That's what it was. True skill. Um, you know, like this has been a concept for as long as we've been really, really, really caring about online gaming on consoles, you know, obviously the PC and, you know, I think if players want, you know, like maybe an option is to also allow private servers, which they do allow for private matches. Like if you want to stream yourself fucking stomping people, like get people from your community to join, you're probably better than them. And then you can fucking dance on their graves or whatever and put out all your highlight videos and, and who look at you uh, and, and have fun that way, I guess, um, in a private match or, or whatever. But like, you know, prior to all this stuff, we just had server browsers and all that sort of stuff. And you could just join a server community and, and always try to find like a good, you know, that was always the thing. Like you you jump from server to server and try to find one that was like, okay, let's find a server with people on it who aren't total dicks. And people who aren't just crushing me 100% of the time, you know? A game, when, when games are good, it feels good when you lose, you know? And a good feeling loss is a, is a loss where you can still take away something from it. Whether it was like, oh, well, I did this one thing really well. Or, or in a fighting game, like, oh, well, I took a couple of rounds off of this guy, uh, so I, I didn't just get stomped and, and all that sort of stuff. So, I, you know, in the end, the best games are games that can make you feel fine in a loss. And, and the scenario that, that these people are painting when they say they don't want skill-based matchmaking, what they want is a playground. Like, fucking, they should just put in bots for those people. I don't know. They can go make wicked TikTok highlight videos about like, I killed 23 bots or whatever the fuck it is with a throwing knife or, you know, um, like that's just, just ridiculous, uh, to me. Does the game, uh, it's a good question. Jack move asks, does call of duty on PC still have input based matchmaking? It seems like it does, but I have it, it. So this is what, Call of Duty's done for the past few years is I think they bias in favor of input-based matchmaking, but if they can't fill a match, they can't fill a match. And so they'll, you know, like I played a game this morning 
because my son doesn't go back to sleep. He wakes up at about four in the morning, and uh, lately he's just like, yeah, well, I'm up now, so you're up now. I'm like, okay. So I got up and said, fuck it. I'll just I'll get some work done and uh, what's going on with Call of Duty. So I tried finding a Call of Duty match at 5.30 in the morning Pacific time, and uh, it couldn't find the low ping match. That kept going up. And then when I did finally get into a match, three of the people were using a mouse. So I think what it ends up doing is, you know, playing. So I normally play with a controller on PC. And so it is looking for people using a controller um, first and foremost. But it's not going to wait around forever if it can't find that. So it will eventually throw people with a mouse in there uh, as well. There's been some people complaining about, uh, you know, different platforms having the inability to turn off crossplay, which I'm also not. I don't know. Like, I think if the input-based matchmaking is done well enough, and I think generally speaking, they do do it well enough. Like I said, you do occasionally end up in a match with some mouse players, and that's not ideal. Um, but I guess statistically, they had said that actually, you know, in a lot of cases, the controller player comes out ahead because of all the, you know, little fine aim kind of adjustments that they're doing on the back end and, and kind of automatically adjusting you here and there and, and snap targeting and, and all the stuff that, you know, controller players get in a lot of these shooters. Um, that it's not as cut and dry as mouse beats controller as it used to be. It ain't Quake 3 on the Dreamcast, for example. So, um, so even that's not a, as much of a thing. I don't know. Like, I, I think crossplay is great. And I think that it, it's one of those things, like, when people complain about, I can't believe they won't let me turn off crossplay. I guess, like, come on. Leave it on. It's fine. This isn't actually a problem. Like, if we if we presume that they are on top of their anti-cheat, if we presume that they are doing the things to keep the PC environment as uh, sacrosanct or whatever as it, as it needs to be, then this isn't an issue. I don't know why you would want to go out of your way to turn it off. It's like a really weird, it's a weird desire that some players have. Like they think they need to do this sort of stuff. Obviously, if people are cheating on PC and they are not doing a good job of keeping their anti-cheat up, you know, that's a sort of a different scenario, but I don't know that we're in that situation here just yet. Um, we'll see. I don't know. War zones coming out in a couple of weeks and that'll obviously be a, you know, if there's going to be a disaster around that game, it'll probably be around then. Um, anyway, yeah, it, it, I think it's awesome. I I'm, I'm really having an, uh, a terrific game, uh, a terrific time with the game rather. And, um, I think it's it's definitely better than the last couple of years of Call of Duty. And yeah, it's I'd have to go back and look at Modern Warfare a little bit more to kind of make that call for real. But I, I think I like this game more than the 2019 game. That game obviously set the stage for this one in so many different ways, but um but yeah, I think they've they've done an awesome job with this one and, and I'm having a really, really great time with it. Um why don't we take our second and final ad break for the show and we'll come back and we'll get us some news. Um, and we'll do that just after this as I look around and try to figure out what I'm hitting and where. Here it is. The power of a clean shave. You know, there's nothing quite like it, but there are a lot of things, a lot of shaves out there that are not like it. You know what I'm talking about. Those quickie, just like, I've just got to get 
some of this hair off my face and neck, and then I've got to go. And you are shaving with these inferior shaving products that leave you prickly. I, I you know, like what? Like your my seatbelt in the car is sticking to whatever is weird. You know, weird neck hair sticking out, or you know, like laying on the pillow and your face is sticking to it like Velcro after a shave. That's crazy. A smooth shave can eliminate all of that stuff. And that is why Henson Shaving is here. Henson Shaving is a family-owned aerospace parts manufacturer that has made parts for the International Space Station and the Mars Rover. And now they're bringing that type of precision engineering to your shave. This is an old-school shaving handle with new-school technology. Now, these handles are designed to hold these razor blades tight. And that tightness prevents the blade from wobbling around like a weird diving board. That wobble is going to lead to nicks, cuts, and scrapes. It's going to lead to a bad shave. So get a good shave with this Henson shaving handle. And on top of that, hey, listen, this isn't some subscription service. You're not going to click a bunch of buttons on a website and then get a bunch of razors and blades that you don't want for the rest of your existence. I might say Henson Shaving is not building the best razor business, but hey, they want to build the best razor. So that means no proprietary blades, no subscriptions, not planned obsolescence. They're not going to be a new handle next year that makes the blades obsolete. None of that stuff. No plastic in their packaging, all that other stuff. Just a razor handle that is designed to last you a lifetime and uses standard razor blades. You know? And you can go buy those anywhere for like nothing. So the, the cost of owner, you know, when you think about this, like over like a two-year span or something like that, the amount of money you've spent on blades, way lower than if you were out there buying, you know, I, I used to buy a lot of these, you know, like the, well, they used to have four blades, but now they've got five. Well, five blades is higher than four. So the numbers went up. We're getting those. Now, just one blade. Just one blade. And like three to five dollars per year to replace those blades because it just uses standard dual-edged razor blades. In some ways, it's nothing fancy, but in other ways, it's the fanciest shave of your life. It's got a clog-free design, so these built-in channels will keep hair and shaving cream and all that other stuff from clogging up and all that stuff makes clogging virtually impossible. You've got to check out Henson Shave. If you shave, give Henson Shaving a look because it's time to say no to subscriptions and yes to a razor that will last you a lifetime. And yes, there's a deal. Visit HensonShaving.com slash Jeff to pick the razor for you and use the code Jeff and you'll get two years worth of blades for free with your razor. Just make sure to add the blades to your cart. You know, it's you got to get the deal. You got to put the, the handle and the blades in the cart, then use the offer code. And it all comes together in a Voltron-esque fashion. And you get the deal. That's 100 free blades when you head to H-E-N-S-O-N-S-H-A-V-I-N-G dot com slash Jeff and use the code Jeff. HensonShaving.com slash Jeff. Shave it up. All right, we're back, and it's time for the news. 
LeBron James disabled? That's what my notes say here. I'm talking about multiverses, of course. The the real world LeBron James, as I understand it, is still okay. I don't know that he is playing the best basketball of his career, but uh, what he demanded a trade. Did I see something saying he demanded a trade? I don't know. What is, I don't know. Basketball. All I know is that LeBron James in multiverses went from experimental to non-experimental, and now he's not even in the game anymore. Uh, the director of multiverses tweeted, we are disabling LeBron due to a critical bug with him. We will re-enable after the bug is fixed. Thank you for your patience. I just There's something about this being based on a, a real person that just the every, all the phrasing every bit of the sentence about disabling lebron james it just is like what the fuck is going on um le- reading lebron james patch notes has been super funny as well uh where they talk about how like, oh yeah so he does this and now if you if you if you punch an enemy you will gain a basketball yes of course of course you will of course uh, I guess May in in Overwatch Two has also been uh, taken out of the game for a couple of weeks because of something where like people were getting on top of the ice wall and using that to get out of the map or whatever the heck was going on. Button it up, people! It's November. We ain't got time for these bugs. Paragon. Who remembers Paragon? Paragon was one of the games uh, that was a casualty of the success of Fortnite. To me, the real tragedy was when that Unreal Tournament reboot got uh, shelved and scrapped and all that sort of stuff. Um, But Paragon, the kind of, it was a more action-y MOBA, third-person, kind of behind-the-back MOBA game. Uh, Free-to-play, all this other stuff. And at some point, Epic said, hey, you know what? Back in 2018, they were like, hey, listen, this is uh, eh, it's just not, you know, th- this, this game's fine, but like, we're not going to run it. <laughs> we're not going to, we're not going to keep, keep doing this. So they shut it down. They, t- they took all the assets and just kind of put them out under a license that let anyone use them. So I was like, oh, we, we made all these assets for this game. If you want to use the Unreal Engine and. I don't know, put this guy in it and have him do whatever you could. Um, and so some folks did that. And then Netmarble, the South Korean studio, went ahead and said, hey, uh, what if we used all of them? And what if you let us make a new Paragon? Uh, what if you let us bring back Paragon? So that is apparently what they are doing. This is according to Video Games Chronicle, who saw it in PC Gamer, who saw it on the internet, who heard from a guy who told another guy, the Paragon was coming back. It's going to be called Paragon the Overprime now, for some reason. <laughs> um, and yes, it's going to be a free-to-play action MOBA. It is going to enter something, some kind of early access relatively soon. Uh, it is listed on the Epic Game Store as something that is coming there uh, eventually, but there's no real time frame on, on you know, how long it's going to be early access or, or anything of that nature. So... Yeah, it's interesting. I you know, like it was it felt like it was at a at a point there it was Paragon and Smite. And I thought Paragon was the better game as someone who only really loosely cared about the genre to begin with. Paragon seemed like a more engaging experience and then so of course that was the one that had to get shut off. Um 
But uh, Smite, of course, has gone on to, you know, some amount of popularity and, and all that sort of stuff. Of course, Battleborn came and went in all the middle of all this in terms of your action MOBAs. I don't know how hobby grade uh, Paragon, the Overprime, will end up being. Uh, but yes, they're running this test. They're going to run a global final test, is what they're calling it, on uh, November 10th. That's coming up. That's relatively soon. I will probably give that a look. I don't know why. I I don't know why I would. It's still a MOBA. It's but I, you know, when I every time I tried it, I was like, this is okay. There's aspects of this that like feel good to play, and and that's and that's kind of fun. So um, yeah, I don't know. I will at least I will at least give it a look. Um, Phil Spencer, the head of games over at Microsoft, the CEO of games. Uh, has been making the rounds a little bit lately. He spoke at the, a Wall Street Journal event uh, and has been making some headlines coming out of that. Uh, this is, a, again, Video Games Chronicle has recapped this. Um, and he's saying, I think at some point we'll have to raise the prices on certain things, but going into the holiday, we thought it was important to maintain the prices. We've held price on our console. We've held price on games and our subscription. I don't think we'll be able to do that forever. I do think at some point we'll have to raise some prices on certain things. Uh, so obviously that's pretty non-specific. Uh, and, uh, you know, like Sony has raised prices in regions. And, uh, of course, Facebook raised the price on the their VR headset and, and all that other stuff. Um, and then Microsoft was very non-committal with that stuff where there was very much a, we are not doing that right now. Right now. We are not doing that. We are not going to do that. We are not looking to raise prices at the moment. Right now. We are not going to raise prices. And so this seems more like we are not going to raise prices this year, but you may potentially see stuff next year. If you think about it next year, you know, Hey, unless something else catastrophic happens next year will be a year when there will probably be a lot of actual first party uh, Xbox games coming out and coming out on game pass, whether that's Starfield or Redfall, you know, like, like, you know, whatever fables fable ever going to come out. I don't know. Forza, the, the Forza motorsport reboot, presumably that is something that'll come out next year. If we're, if we're just making guesses, I guess, um, so, you know, there will be bigger exclusive games on Game Pass, I suppose. And so you could see them using that as a justification to maybe raise the price there. I wonder if they'll do a thing. You know, this Microsoft seems like the, the way Microsoft has run their business so far. This seems like something where they would get out ahead of it and announce, hey, in 30 days, we are going to raise the price of Game Pass. Also. You can get in for a dollar right now, you know, and they go through that whole thing of like, remember that, that they were letting people like, oh, you buy it for a dollar and then you convert this time. You buy these other gift cards and convert this and do all this. And you're ended up, you know, getting three years of game pass for practically nothing. Um, I wonder if they would do something like that then to just try and like, you know, hey, as people get out ahead of it a little bit and, and, and fill up their time or whatever, because I think a lot, yeah, that's a lot of those. I think some of those tricks still work. So who knows how that would actually end up, whether the hardware goes up. There's been other stories saying that they lose about a hundred dollars on an Xbox series X and about $200 on a, uh, 
on an Xbox Series S. And so they're hoping to make that up in games and subscriptions and services and all that stuff. So is that a good reason to raise the price of the hardware? Or is that a good reason to raise the price of the subscription service? Or do you just say both? Um, one of the other Phil Spencer tidbits uh, out there. I would love to talk to him about some of this stuff at some point. Perhaps we can, perhaps we can make that happen one of these days here. Um, was he also, I was on an, another podcast saying that, you know, that he felt like it had been too long since uh, there had been a big game out of Microsoft, which, yeah, yes. This year has been very dry. Um, it's like, what are they, uh, you know, Pentiment is not out quite yet. Uh, people seem to be very much looking forward to that. Um, I, I have seen some Pentiment. I can't talk about it at the, at the moment. Um, but what is there? There's Grounded. There's the Forza DLC. Halo Infinite came out about a year ago now, right? I mean, it's, 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 it's been a, I, I feel like it's been a, a bad year for, for Xbox on the, I, that I don't that, that's not a fucking hot take. Like, hey, the last twelve months uh, on the Microsoft side of things, they have not really put out a ton of games. You know, like they they have pushed a lot of stuff back. They have missed Windows here and there. Like, you know, they have not announced Windows for some games. Like, you know, there there's big stuff coming out on Game Pass, and they you know they've taken that the holes in their lineup and they've instead gone and said, well, what if we just pay a bunch of money to get games on game pass? And of course they're looking to buy Activision and all that sort of stuff uh, as well. But yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things that contributes to, I think this year feeling really strange, really, really strange uh, for video games. And just one of those things that just like the industry feels like it's at a very strange point right now. Um, and it all kind of fits together with like, oh, this is when I say like that, uh, that feels like the generation hasn't even started yet. Like there's just a lot of little bits and bobs like this that, that all contribute to a very strange feeling out there uh, looking at the, the game business. It's not to say it's unhealthy per se or that it's, you know, it's certainly not a doom and gloom scenario. It just feels like the cost of big games is just out of control. The amount of money that has to get spent, you, you know, and, and, and maybe this Microsoft price point stuff, you know, one of the things he does say is we've held price on games. So maybe they do raise the price of first party games to $70. I bet that they're getting a little bit of pressure from third parties who would love to, um, you know, love to just have everyone charging 70 across the board on both. So I bet they do that because that works out for them in a couple of ways, right? They make the, their games $70, but they also say, yeah, sign up for Game Pass. Don't fucking spend $70 on this game. What are you, dumb? Um, For their own first party stuff. Like, that's a freebie, right? You know, they should, you know, it, that, that helps push people over to the Game Pass subscription if they if they raise prices $10 on that stuff. Um, if they're losing money on the consoles and they feel like they're not making it back on the subscription, then like I said, then either you jack up the price of the console 50 or a hundred bucks or you raise the price of the subscription a little bit. I would probably go, if I had to pick two of these three, I would actually probably 
knowing nothing about their business and what actually makes sense, but I would probably say raise the price of the console and raise the price on games. Actually, no. You can't raise price on console. You can't go out there and charge. Raise the price of the Series S, but keep the Series X where it is because the Series X needs to remain competitive with PlayStation 5. Unless Sony raises price in the U.S., if they want to collude, uh, then and then maybe they could get away with that, but they, <laughs> they probably shouldn't do that. Because um, if they really are losing $200, $200 on an Xbox Series S, then maybe you, maybe you make it up there. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, I bet the games go to $70 at, at a minimum. You know, whatever happens with the subscription price and the console price like who knows but i i bet that they get to a point where they're like you know what we're gonna we're gonna start charging 70 for all this stuff because we think that you should sign up for game pass anyway um so yeah it's just the the environment out there is really strange it's just a it's a really weird time right now with the money stuff and the just when games come out all the other stuff um also on the Game Pass front, there was a financial filing uh, spotted by Axios uh, that says that they basically they missed their internal target for number of Xbox Game Pass subscribers. Um, Satya Nadella's pay uh, and and I guess some of other Microsoft executives the only gaming the only gaming related bonus in their comp structure, it sounds like was related to subscriptions to game pass. And they missed the growth rate on that. They, I guess the target they were looking for was to see a growth rate of 72.88% in Xbox game pass subscribers for the fiscal year ending June 30th, 2022. According to video games, Chronicles recap of the details. Um, and but the growth rate was only twenty eight percent, and so those people don't get their bonuses. I know, pour one out for them. It's a sad day that they didn't get bonused out. But you do look at this and go like, "Well, wait a minute, oh, this is a, it's a very aggressive growth target. Like, where were they expecting that to come from?" And they were probably expecting that to come from them having big games out to justify people getting on game pass and they didn't have that, but they still managed to grow. Um, Phil Spencer also kind of said, Hey, uh, growth rate for game pass on console is slowing down. He said that the PC game pass stuff is picking up speed, which that's, you know, when they launched game pass on PC, it was not a great service. Uh, they just didn't have a ton of games the process of installing them people were not a fan of i think there are some people that still you know maybe that's a windows 10 thing or whatever i will say that process on windows 11 has been has been fine for me of installing game pass games uninstalling game pass games it's been a totally acceptable way to play those games um and so it sounds like on the pc they've been seeing pretty good growth as that service has continued to grow out and and they get more games that are either on console and PC or pursue PC games or, or whatever. Like that service has become more robust and more useful. Um, but the Game Pass growth on console is slowing down. And the the quote he gave when talking to Wall Street Journal was, I've seen growth slow down mainly because at some point you've reached everybody on console that wants to subscribe. That's not great. 
they should probably sell more consoles. Right? <laughs> I mean, that's the, you know, I think the hope on them on the console front would be, uh, oh, yeah, hey, uh, Game Pass is just such a cool service and such a great service that, uh, that yeah, we hopefully it'll drive console sales and, and maybe that's not happening at the rate that they expected. Again, you know, they don't have a ton of big name games. Like, where's the mainstream, you know, like, okay, like all of us, like you're fucking sitting here watching this. You're sitting here typing here. You know about all this shit. But like, you know, we're reaching that point now where they've got to try to read, reach this mainstream consumer. And how do you reach mainstream consumers with big giant games? Not Pentiment. Not to take anything away from, from that game. It's not, you know, you're again, we talked about some of the stuff last week. You're not going to go buy a Slurpee with Pentiment branding on it and go, ah, hell yeah, we got that double XP for Pentiment. You know, like it's, or Vampire Survivor, you know, like the the games that we're looking at is like the biggest games. When I, when I look at the games on my list for like, these are the my favorite games that I played this year, they're all over the place. But what most of them are not is they are not big marquee franchise, big blockbuster, triple, quadruple A, fucking insane, you know, like those games. And as much as it's easy for, I think, a lot of like more diehard video game players to want to shit on games of that size, those are the games that get like, uh, those are the games that get the straights excited, you know, get them out there buying consoles. Get them out there going like, oh, hell yeah. We, oh, we, we got to get that. I got to get that Xbox, son. Like, th- that's not happening. And so then those people are not going on to then buy Game Pass or any of that other stuff. And so you, you know, the, the whole thing kind of falls apart. That's a PlayStation problem as well. It's just you you need... You need those blockbuster big games if you want to bring in the the people that are more casual players, right? I mean, for as much as we talk about casual players in the context of like phone games and stuff like that, like and and of course that's a huge audience of people, but like you've got those people that are like maybe they haven't bought a console in like two generations. Maybe they're like, "Oh, I used to like Assassin's Creed. I wonder what that's like now." I think about my roommate who, you know, you know, I played a ton of SOCOM with, and then, you know, we played a lot of Call of Duty on 360, and then he would buy, like, Assassin's Creed, and that was, like, it. He would, it was basically, like, a box that he used to play Call of Duty, and then he played some Assassin's Creed, and, like, I'm in the other room with, like, 400 Xbox 360 games that he could have played at any time, but he didn't really, you know, he, he never really got too deep into the rest of that library. And so I, I, you know, I think about players like that, that are really only looking for one game a year, five games a year, whatever it is. Those games are usually fucking massive. You know, they're the big guns. They're the, they're the games on the super bowl. They're the, you know, whatever you want to call them, triple a, what, you know, they're the, the biggest of the big and that part of the market, I think is still there if the games are, but the games haven't been there. Even when Halo came out, because it was came out as a weird like free to play, 
and it came out a week early or you know whatever a month or whatever when it came out early and stuff like that like it never really felt like the marketing was there to really really get behind it they did do the rockstar double xp cans or was it wasn't even double xp it was like gun skins or whatever the fuck it was whatever I, you know as someone who was already drinking quite a bit of rockstar i got all i got all my halo fucking vehicle and gun skins you know um But yeah, I don't know. Like, it's interesting. I, I like it when big games are out and big. I like to see the big, weird, expensive games sometimes, you know, because that's, you know, that's, I grew up with that. You know, you grew up with those blockbuster, you know, you grew up with Sonic Tuesday and Mortal Monday and, you know, uh, Ozzy Osbourne playing on the top of the fucking Ed Sullivan Theater in New York because Madden is coming out. You know, like all those big, dumb launches. And it doesn't need to be that anymore. It can't be that anymore because now people get games digitally so they don't go line up at stores and games are free to play. So it's just not a big, you know, the games come out in early access so people have been playing it for three weeks anyway. You know, everything is very different now. But I still think that this business needs to find a better way to market its biggest games to a wider audience. But, I, you know, whatever. Actually, I mean, people are saying that this this Call of Duty sold incredibly well, pre-sold incredibly well, coming off of a really down year with Vanguard. So Activision figured something out when it comes to reaching people and, and, and getting games out there. But, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, I don't have an answer to this. Uh, I don't, I don't have an actual solution to this. It's just one of those things that just still, like I said, a lot of things just feel wrong about the, the big end of the video game business, indie games and, and, and the kind of smaller games and all that sort of stuff feels like it's doing better than ever in some ways. You know, uh, there's a lot more to sift through sometimes. So, you know, and you still have to figure out, what's what and which which of these games are actually good and all this other stuff and i gotta sift through 20 different weird nazi porno games on steam to find uh the 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 games i'm looking for which are not those for the record but boy steam sure does like to show them to i whatever i you know i could turn off adult games anytime i want on steam but i'm never going to i want to see what's out there i want to know god damn it um so yeah, I don't know. Stuff's weird. Sonic Frontier is going to come out and save uh, the game industry, right? That's that's pretty much that's pretty much what happens next, right? That. Um. On the Sony side, they are seeing some softness as well. If only there was some kind of pill they could take to alleviate this softness, but they're not sponsoring the show this week, so. PlayStation Plus has lost nearly 2 million subscribers since its revamp, says the headline on Video Games Chronicle. They launched that service in June. And uh, Sony gave its subscriber estimates as part of its uh, fiscal year 2022 second quarter financials. And so this is the first full quarter since they revamped PlayStation Plus. And so even in spite of that revamp... This is now the third quarter in a row that their subscribers have dropped. I mean, boohoo. Like, they went from 47.3 million to 45.4 million. That's still a lot of people. 
but it is fewer people. Monthly active users also down on the PlayStation Network from 104 million a year earlier to 102 million. And Video Games Chronicle notes that this appears to be Sony's lowest monthly active user figure since it began reporting the data in early 2020. Uh, revenue, however, is up because they are now offering you more ways to give them more money for PlayStation Plus. So, you know, fewer subscribers, but some of them have migrated to a higher tier, and so it all kind of balances out in the end for them a little bit. But um, this is interesting. Um, the CFO of Sony, Hiroki Totoki, apparently blamed the declining... Um, blamed some of the softness on what Video Games Chronicle calls, says uh, they transcribed as declining third-party games and PlayStation 4 sales and more people going outdoors. That's, that sounds like one of those wrestling excuses. Like, why are ratings down? Like, ah, a new gas station opened up the street so we didn't get a big house for this show. Satoki says he expects subscriber numbers to recover during the next quarter, partly due to the impact of Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 and God of War Ragnarok. Uh, There have been a declining number of members of PlayStation Plus. However, in the second quarter, we renewed our services and there hasn't been a a great momentum as a whole. Also, we didn't make aggressive promotions during the second quarter. Therefore, in the future, we are going to have more penetration on PS5 and we are going to have very good titles. In addition, we are able to make better promotions and we think we are able to recover. More people are now going outdoors. This is a reply to another investor. More people are now going outdoors, and we have yet to get out of the negative cycles. PlayStation 4 and third-party software sales have also been rather sluggish, and sales of catalog titles have also been declining. I guess that makes sense um, to a certain uh, degree. Um, Wow, okay, something fucking nuts just happened. We'll, We'll get to that in a sec. Uh, that they are still transitioning, right? I mean, the, they, they had a weird, long, slow transition from the PlayStation 4 to the PlayStation 5. And, you know, originally even something like Gotham Knights, which just came out, was originally supposed to be on PS4, and now it's not. So all those players who haven't upgraded are now left out in the cold on a third-party game like that. Um, so I, I guess I, I see the point of just like, yeah, the, the console transition is happening and is weird and um and so on and, and so forth. Uh but when you see like, oh more people are going outside. Like, yeah, I guess. Not me, man. Um They issued an additional statement uh earlier this morning, UK time. Uh, saying, uh, claiming that the decline in PS Plus subscribers was influenced by a greater decline in user engagement among PlayStation 4 users than expected. The number of PlayStation Plus subscriber accounts at the end of September decreased 4% from the end of June to 45.4 million. We see that this decrease results from a greater decline in user engagement among PlayStation 4 users than expected. On the other hand, the ratio of PlayStation Plus subscribers among PS5 users remains at a level significantly higher than that of PS4. We are putting even more effort into accelerating the penetration of PS5 hardware to recover this user engagement going forward. So yeah, PlayStation 4 owners that did not necessarily go out and get a PlayStation 5 
are falling off the service. PlayStation Plus is less interesting if you have a PS4 anyway because of the games that they are offering for free every month now. Um, like all of that sort of makes sense. If you are not a player who upgraded to the new generation, then then yeah, you're you're going to fall off of that service. And yes, I, I guess that they probably, you know, with, with some games abandoning PS4 that were initially announced as coming out to PS4, that's the sort of stuff that's going to keep people from playing PlayStation 4 as well. So that all, that all lines up to me for whatever that's worth. Um, and we'll see. Um, okay. Remember Square Enix Montreal? This is the studio that made mobile games like Hitman Go and what Lara Croft Go and all that sort of stuff. They rebranded themselves. They were they were acquired by Embracer, and so as a result, they had to um not be named Square Enix Montreal anymore. So they ended up rebranding themselves about three weeks ago. Under the name Onoma. And now they are being shut down. This news comes out of uh, CDE Entertainment, which I guess is that's Crystal Dynamics IDOS Entertainment, which is the business unit that they is part of. Embrace. I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and go through the entire Embracer corporate structure. Um, they're shutting down its publishing QA team and Anoma, which is Anoma that was, was the mobile developer formerly known as Square Enix Montreal. This is going to impact roughly 200 people that they're looking at uh, potentially moving some of those people into open positions elsewhere. There's a quote here that Games Industry Biz has. Brendan Sinclair reporting. We see the growth opportunities centered around our premier franchises and AAA games. Closing publishing QA and our Anoma studio is a difficult decision and one that we've taken with great care and consideration. We greatly thank all of those team members for their contributions over the years and hope to find proper placements for as many as possible. And the closures will be made as they are focusing on future production capacities on its flagship studios, Crystal Dynamics and Eidos Montreal. That's crazy. Um, it's it's crazy, but also it, it's Embracer was not really a big mobile company. They definitely bought this stuff because they were looking to do something with the Crystal Dynamics and IDOS part of that portfolio, right? They they are looking to make the big games, the AAA games, and all those sort of sort of stuff. So I, I guess I'm surprised that they didn't sell this off. But like, I guess maybe they wouldn't want to sell the IP. And if you're selling that team off with no IP, you know, maybe at some point it's like not something that's sellable. Anyway, staff got informed today in a meeting that Nanoma is shutting down, according to Jason Schreier, and that the company is looking to focus only on PC and console. Montreal is a big video game city. So, yeah, they'll, uh, you know, hopefully there'll be a lot of opportunities out there for these folks uh, that are going to get affected by this. Um, by affected by this, I mean put the fuck out of work. I mean, it's not affected by this. Impacted by the... Uh, separated from employment. All those poor shit fucking words. Um, 
you know, sometimes a company buys a big cluster of things and they really only want the one or two things that are the biggest things at the top. And a lot of other stuff gets thrown in with the deal. And then they have to look at it and go like, can we do anything with this? And if not, they either sell it on to someone else and start all over again. Or they shut it down. I'm talking about Embracer here. Uh, and Embracer decided to shut it down. They decided quickly as well. It's it, like it's it's also weird that like three months three months ago they came up with their new name. Like oh yeah we got to rename it and then they renamed it and they're like oh by the way ah we're good. Like, that's wild. That sucks. Um, back to the the PlayStation. Um, financial story a little bit here. Uh, they also stated that the PlayStation 5 has hit 25 million units shipped. And um, profits are down 49%. That's not to say that they're not profitable, but it is to say that, uh, you know, whether it's uh, rising costs. Okay, here, uh, the decline, and this is also Video Games Chronicle, uh, Sony said its decline in gaming profits was due to an increase in game development and acquisition costs, including its purchase of Bungie, as well as a negative impact of foreign exchange rates reflecting a high ratio of USD costs. So dollars. Um, yes, the, the dollar being weird, uh, or, or I guess the rest of the world currency being bad and the dollar somehow being good. I don't know. Yes, they bought Bungie as well, so that's going to cost a lot of money. So yeah, it's going to cut into all that sort of stuff. Uh, Sony's Game and Network Services Division revised its full-year forecast down by 12%, citing lower-than-expected sales of third-party games. I wonder if that has to do with, like, you know, if there are more games that are leaving PlayStation 4 in favor of PlayStation 5, and it's just an install-based sort of thing. I don't know. Uh... Co-founders of Rocksteady are leaving the studio at the end of the year. Sefton Hill and Jamie Walker announced that they are done. <laughs> um, this was a, a something that got posted to the Rocksteady site uh, with David Haddad, who was the president of WB Games, kind of weighing in on this sort of stuff. And uh, Jordan Midler recapped some of that and said, uh, with Suicide Squad killed, the Justice League nearly finished. They have both decided to leave Rocksteady at the end of 2022 and we'll begin a new adventure in gaming. We have the utmost respect and gratitude for Jamie and Sefton and wish them all the best in their new endeavor. And like many fans, we look forward to what they do next. Um, and then they issued a joint statement saying, our decision to leave Rocksteady was emotional to say the least from the day we founded the company in 2004 all the way to today. Rocksteady has been our life and soul. Now with Suicide Squad and safe hands and the team here stronger than ever, it's time to hand over the reins and for us to start a new adventure together in games. So they're going to get out and do it all over again, you know? They sold it to Warner. They probably made a good chunk of money along the way, right? Um, and now they're like, why don't we get out there and start all over again? Maybe we can sell it to somebody else and make another chunk of money, right? That's how it works. Um... I'll be curious to see the Suicide Squad game. I have not been following it super closely. Um, I don't know if there's been too much to follow because Warner's been so focused on Gotham Knights. 
And now that that's out of the way, you know, maybe we can um, start to hear more about what Rocksteady's doing. It's one of the situations where, like, that game, that Batman Origins game, Arkham, or- Arkham, Oranges, or- Arkham Oranges, came out of uh, Montreal and was not a great game. And it was like, well, let's see what Rocksteady does when they get the reins back and they do their next Arkham game. And then that came out and I was like, you know what? Maybe I'm just not into this formula as, but I think it's one of the interesting things about Gotham Knights is, uh, some folks in the process of like trying to make sense of the criticism of the game have said like, well, people went into it expecting Arkham another Arkham game. And it's not that I did not go into like, I, if that game had just been another Arkham game, I think I would have been pretty disappointed. Um, because I want them to do something different and I, I don't, I don't think, yeah, I don't think they made another Arkham game, but also I, they, they should not have done that. I don't think that would have worked out better for them. Those first two Arkham games. Awesome. Stellar video games, amazing video games, landmark video games. The first one, probably better than the second because it established so much. Think about how we do group combat in games now. It is just that. It is just varying degrees of that. It's just varying degrees of like, how long are we going to let this guy slide from enemy to enemy automatically? And when will we make the the player actually turn and walk and do that stuff? Um, Arkham Asylum. Such an amazing God, God, just a again, like that is like I said, it's a landmark moment in video games where they put something out that established so many different systems and concepts and codified those in a way that everyone making whether it was they were making a superhero game or just making something where the the protagonist had to fight a cluster of enemies at the same time, like all of those games took something from Rocksteady. And that second game, I thought they they did a good job of blowing it up into a much bigger city and doing all that stuff. And that was still a fun game. Um, you know, they they found a way to make it bigger, right? And I think that was cool in some ways. It's very different from Arkham Asylum, but Arkham uh, Arkham Asylum is probably a, a better a better game. Um, so I'm curious to see what Suicide Squad is because if it's just the Arkham, because if again, you know, much like we were saying with Gotham Knights, is if this is just the Gotham the the Arkham template painted on different characters. That's not super interesting on its own. So hopefully they've got something more up their sleeve. Um, but yeah, I mean, good on them. Like they, you know, that was, there was a good long time in this business where the concept of like, what's rock city doing next? Like, remember it was like, Oh, they're doing a, is there a while there the people trying to say they're doing a fucking Ninja Turtles game or something? And like, there was just like the number of different, like, Oh, they're not doing Batman. They're doing this. They're doing this. And then everyone settled on suicide squad. I was like, Oh, okay. All right. Well, Oh, they're going to do Superman. They, yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't know that they would have made a good Superman game. I don't know that anyone can make a good Superman game. Because the best Superman game already exists on the Atari 2600. Don't get no better. You just don't. So congrats on them to, you know, like, uh, doing their time and, and moving on. And we'll see what they, we'll see what they end up starting next. That's, uh, that's interesting. 
Hideo Kojima is out there claiming that his new video game is like a new medium. This is from an interview with The Guardian with Simon Parkin. We don't really know all that much about what uh, what Hideo Kojima is doing. But the quote here that was pulled out by Video Games Chronicle says, it's almost like a new medium. If this succeeds, it'll turn things around, not just in the game industry, but in the movie industry as well. Uh, and then the, the the VGC article goes on to speculate that this is probably talking about overdose and all the, the leak stuff around overdose. It's, um... Hmm. Yeah, it's, I, you know, my, my, my interest in what Kojima is doing is so, so often academic. And I, I, it's like, like I've said before, I, I love that he is out there with a studio making games. I don't think that all his games are great. I don't think every idea that comes out of that studio is especially good, but they are often at least interesting. Um, there's also been a new reveal on the whole, like, Hey, check out these actors in this game sort of thing. The silhouette has been revealed. The second silhouette has been revealed to be Shiori Kutsuna, who played Yukio in Deadpool two, among other things was also in the the live action version of Beck which I think I saw at some point anyway um and so now there's a new teaser image that says how come on it well, so we've had like what have we had so far who is this what is this what's going on what's really going on where is the love um and now we have how come So I, yeah, I I don't know. I the uh, these teasers are are not doing anything at all for me. When it's like, here's some of the folks that are going to be in this game. Like that's not. I that I I don't I don't really care about that. It's all about how they're used and and what they're doing and and all that sort of stuff. So the just the reveals of just like here's Elle Fanning. I'm like I don't care. I don't care about the cast of this thing until you tell me what the thing is. So this method of reveal is not really, um, not really doing it for me personally. I would much rather see something that was focused on the video game and what is this new medium he is working on, but we'll get there in due time and we'll see how that all goes. I bet it will be an interesting mess that you will pick up and play and go like, huh? Well, he did it again. Whatever it is, he sure did do it. <laughs> um. All right. That's it for the news. Why don't we get into some emails here? I don't have a good... Well, I can play some of this. Podcast at guard.bike is the email address for you to send in your emails. And then when the emails come in, I look at them and then I put little stars next to some of them. 
And, uh, you know, then from there they get on a list and sometimes I read them. Podcast guard.bike. Send, send in your emails today. Um, I am looking at a few that just came in. And selecting them. And then now I'm filtering them. Okay. Matt from Ontario, Canada. Rice in and says, I grew up mostly with the NES and the SNES, and despite owning one, I didn't appreciate the Genesis during its heyday. I'm in my 40s now, and I'm exploring the Genesis library via the Mr. FPGA, and have come to find that it's the console I keep going back to more than any other. I find Genesis games generally play more fluid and faster than their SNES counterparts, and the music, when done right, can sound clean, textured, and dynamic. Have you found the Genesis has aged better with time somehow? Thank you for keeping it real. You know, yes, I, um, that was always the, the, the best part about Genesis games was, was really, you know, in, in those cases where games appeared on both 16 bit platforms, the Genesis version usually just had a rawness to it and a realness. It, it had rough edges that it was in your fucking face and often just felt better control wise. I think it's, you know, I mean, Mortal Kombat is really the classic example there of like Mortal Kombat one on the SNES is a disaster of a video game. Um, and when it comes to trying to play like the arcade version and all that other stuff, like the, the way it controls and feels and stuff like that is awful. Especially when you compare it to the Genesis version, which looked way worse the color depth, all this other stuff. Like people have done ROM hacks of Mortal Kombat for the Genesis to like make it a little closer to the arcade in a way that's like kind of annoying because you look at it and go like, wow, this is way better. They should have done this when it first came out. That would have been, that would have been meaningful then. Um, But music is, I think, something that is maybe left to personal taste. I find a lot of Super Nintendo games sound very muffled and echoey, like they use all that DSP stuff, like all the, just the effects and stuff. And it's very nice, but it's the sort of thing that nowadays kind of sounds like a bunch of low bit rate samples. Whereas FM synthesis, a nice good FM synth still sounds like a nice good FM synth all these years later. And so I think Genesis games are kind of like a then now forever sort of thing. Whereas SNES games feel sometimes the sound just feels grimy. Good music on the SNES is still great music on the SNES. It's, you know, it's not like the everything on there sounds like garbage, but there's just, there's a softness to all of it. There's a softness to the SNES in general that I think you either kind of love or hate because I think a lot of the visuals on SNES games and, and in some cases this made them better looking games than their Genesis counterparts, but there were just situations where it's like the SNES version just looks a little bit cleaner a little bit softer edges, a little bit rounder, you know, some of that stuff, like just, they, they were blurring it just so. Whereas the Genesis version is like, 
it's out there, baby. It's just making this grinding noise at you. And just like every pixel on Bart Simpson's fucking hair is sticking out at you. Like all, you know, and, and all that shit. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I like the Genesis, but I can't, I just, I just don't like the three button Genesis controller anymore. I just, it's, it doesn't feel good in my hand. Um, not that I'm using original controllers all that much these days anyway, but like the six button Genesis controller is such a step up. Um, but the SNES controller is so much closer to what modern standards are with the force face buttons in the diamond configuration and all that stuff. You know, like super smash TV is a great example of just like, man, what a perfect game for this controller dual joystick, you know, game, the button layout can lets you have kind of a right joystick. And, and that's a, that's a tremendous arcade port. It's an awesome version of the game. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I think, yeah, there are definitely some SNES games that just like aged weird and just look and sound a little, like I said, a little soft, a little soft. This is something we've talked a lot about Sega and the Genesis and how they got the Genesis out into the marketplace and just, you know, the, the, the rise of Tom Kalinske and all that other stuff on Game Boys to Men, which is the Patreon exclusive podcast that I'm doing with Glenn Rubenstein, who uh, started reporting on games back then. And he dragged me into all this and all this stuff back when he was, he was 15 and I was 16. And so we've been talking a lot about, um, a lot of the episodes so far have, have, have dealt with 16 bit stuff because we're just kind of talking about the nineties the early nineties right now. And there's been a lot of Sega talk on that show. So, so go check that out. Go to patreon.com slash Jeff Gerstman or dopeassvideogames.com. We'll also get you there and, uh, head over there and sign up. And, uh, at the appropriate tier, you can listen to episodes of that hot broadcast. Latest episode about street fighter two and going to different arcades and, and hoping to not get beat up at, uh, at different arcades. Email's a little slow. Email's a little slow this week. It's it's just it's taking a while to load. Yashua in Minnesota writes in and says, Your Rockstar Master Chief thing got me thinking. Rockstar the beverage, not the company. Uh, are we looking at this the wrong way? It may seem unusual that the product being advertised is a subscription service and not a new Halo game, but that's the direction all entertainment seems to be going. That's true. So if you're not familiar, there's Xbox branding on cans of Rockstar this year, but they're not about any specific game. Like it's Master Chief, but then all the stuff on it says like, sign up for Game Pass. You know, as opposed to those days of like, hey, the, you know, Master Chief is on this Slurpee cup and here's this game on this and go here for double XP for this and, and all that. Like it's more just like a, a more kind of generic game pass kind of promotion. Hmm. I'm seeing more and more commercials that are a jumbled mix of TV show and movie clips advertising a specific streaming service. And only a few of the biggest budget items get their own spot. Have we entered the era of oversaturation saturation hmm. instead of selling us an item, they got to sell us a whole basket of stuff. Gotham Knights sucks, right? Doesn't even have Batman. But there are already four fantastic AAA Batman games out there, and I suspect the new generation of players isn't asking, 
when is a new Batman game coming, but instead, which service has those Batman games? Perhaps video games have already peaked? Would love to hear your thoughts. I don't think video games have peaked. I think that we are in a weird... We are in a weird moment in time right now because of, again, the subscription services are relatively new. We went through a pandemic that wreaked complete havoc on release schedules and also a company's ability to launch a game without bugs and and all this stuff as they figured out how to work from home and, and all that sort of stuff. So I think we're just in a unique, weird time and that some of that stuff will shake out as things kind of get back to normal. I don't, I don't, I don't want to use the word normal, but you know, as, as, as things get kind of rolling again, as they have over the course of this year, that's stuff that will smooth out, I think. And we'll, we'll get back on a more regular cadence and, and all that sort of thing. Um, but it's a good point, you know, that, that streaming services are the thing that people talk about, right? It's, you know, it's, it's what's on Netflix and, and what's on, what's on where, I mean, in, in, that leads to individual show talk. But I, when you talk about oversaturation, I think, you know, we've definitely reached an era of oversaturation for streaming services, right? I mean, those services, it, 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 they can't all last forever, right? Like at the scale that some of these companies will need them to get to in order to be viable, like at some point, if they don't get there, then they're like, well, I guess we can license this programming to Netflix like we were doing and or, or whoever, you know, might not even be Netflix, but... I, I'm not going to go sign up for, or if I am, if this is the way of things with television, if this family wants to watch TV, then I'm probably going to be the person that signs up for a service for a specific show. And then when that show is done, meaning like the season is over or we watched it all in two days or whatever it is, I'm going to immediately unsubscribe from that service. I felt very burned by Netflix. Because I kept the Netflix subscription for a very long time and didn't use it for like a year. And so I reached a point with it where I was just like, what the fuck am I doing? And then I, I, the breaking point was I was in a hotel and I wanted to watch Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift. Uh, don't ask me why and shit. It should be self-evident. I mean, you know, so that just happens. Sometimes you're like, shit, man. We got to watch Tokyo Drift right fucking now. Guess what wasn't on Netflix? Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift. So I unsubscribed from Netflix that day and I have not looked back. Um, and, and so, you know, so instead it becomes like, okay, well, what's the right way to do this? Am I buying physical copies of things and then ripping them on my Plex server? That's, that's been happening in a lot of cases. I, I really think that as the streaming services branch out, you know, of course, now everyone was talking about Andor for a while there, and then which is the the Star Wars series. I think it's about someone named Andor. I don't actually know. I hear it's good. I hear it's good in a way that made me actually want to watch it, which is more than I can say about anything Star Wars related since, I guess, Return of the Jedi. No, Rogue One. Rogue One was good. I liked Rogue One. Um, or some of this, uh, you know, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm just not a big TV and movie watcher, but I think part of it is because it's just, you know, there is part of that that's become a hassle of just like, well, which service is it on? And 
as someone who's not going to put up with that, like at some point your choices become like, well, I'm going to sign up for this service and immediately cancel it because I don't want to waste money on things that we're not using. Or you're leading people back to piracy. You know what I mean? Like the whole point of streaming services, the whole thing that Spotify did and Apple music to an extent as well, like a lot of these different services, as they kind of got deeper into this sort of stuff, the thing they were providing was convenience. And I was like, yeah, you could keep on going out there and tracking down MP3s and sealing them. But isn't it easier to just know that everything is going to be right here when you need it in perpetuity? And that's something that the music streaming services, generally speaking, can do. Obviously, there's plenty of music that is not on fucking Spotify or Apple Music or anything like that. There's all the more indie stuff that shows up on Bandcamp. Of course, you still have like, there's probably a couple of artist holdouts and stuff like that, that, you know, older music that's not showing up there. But like, by and large, it was a service that you could pay for and it was one service and that was a solved problem for the most part. And Netflix used to be the only game in town to an extent and that led to some sort of feeling like that for a while. But now it's not because then suddenly you're like, well, what about Hulu? And then suddenly you're like, okay, well, what about Peacock? Okay. Well, what about, you know, like what about Disney plus? What about CNN plus? What about Queeby? You know? And, and, and so like eventually all that shit spread out across all these other services that suddenly you're right back to that problem of like, where do I even go to fucking watch this? Oh, and they want me to pay them $10 to watch it. Like, fuck this. Like it's just become cumbersome enough that it's, it's not, it is not convenient the way that that stuff needs to be. And so when you've got a scenario where like piracy is the, the level of, when I think about piracy in the nineties, when I think about the hoops that one had to jump through, Getting on IRC servers and XDCCing packs to get things, whether it was, you know, when I think about getting Eminem albums before they were released, and I think about the ways that you had to do that, this is pre, when I think about the pre Napster days of someone told you, hey, there's a, a hidden directory on this college's FTP site, and if you go there, it's got a bunch of, uh, pictures of naked women and also a copy of doom two. And you're like, what doom two? Holy smokes. We've got to get over there right now before it all gets deleted. And then we have to find someplace else. Now, like people are just like clicking buttons and fucking, you know, it's like download speeds have increased to, you know, I, I, Hey, look, I could still go for a much, much more bandwidth here. I have pre-ordered, service with an ISP that is going to be offering service here sometime next year. And I've pre-ordered a five gigabit symmetrical connection. That's a lot. That's five gigabits is a high number. Let me tell you. But even still, I have one gigabit down here and for, you know, the, the 40 up is the thing. That's the, the troubling. The upstream sucks. 40 is, is, you, you can top that out real easily and break that. Anyway, 
point being, download bandwidth is at a point where like people want to pirate a movie. They can click a button, sit back, and like in five minutes, it's there, ready to fucking watch. And they can configure all that stuff to be incredibly easy and incredibly turnkey in a way that's just like, they've reached a point where it's like, oh, this is now suddenly more convenient than figuring out which streaming service has this show and all this other stuff. And, you know, that industry did it to itself. You know, they, they, they've complicated those things in a way that I think is going to lead people back to piracy and, and all that stuff. It seemed like it was a solved problem, right? It felt like, oh, well, these streaming services are going to be so convenient and so easy. Who the fuck is going to go to like, who's going to torrent anything? Fuck all this. Who cares? Who has time for that? Um, but now like video and television and all the other stuff got to a point where it's just like, I don't even know where this stuff lives anymore. I can't Tebow it or I could, but then I have to pay what? $200. Eh, I don't know. It's, uh, it's stupid. And I think games, you know, game game pass gets to a, a point where it's pretty convenient. It has a lot of stuff on it. It doesn't have everything, but it kind of creates that situation where like, there's always something to play. Even if it's not always the thing you're looking for, if you're like, Oh, you're looking for a specific game. Like, Oh, well that's only on PlayStation. So of course it's not here or it's, you know, like whatever the, the reason is, but you know, there aren't a million different subscription services. There are only like three or four or something. Right. And, and you get half the EA subscription with game pass anyway. So you're really just like looking at Ubisoft and going like, mm, I'm good. I can buy the one Ubisoft game that I want to play every year. I don't need to sign up for their service all year long. Anyway. Um, Nick from Detroit writes in and says, and asks, is anything from the distant past still good? Yeah. That's, I suppose that's a fair question. Nick says, the Atari 5200 was my first console as I received it as a hand-me-down from an older kid that was getting out of video games and into riding bikes or whatever kids did in the 80s once they got to be like 10. This was in the middle of the crash, but I didn't even notice as a kid that was about five years old at the time. You said on the last episode of the show that the 5200 sucked. And with hindsight, I can't really disagree. However, it still had a great version of Star Raiders and that version of Pac-Man was pretty good as well for the time. I remember hearing the channel F was your first console. Is there anything that you still could enjoy on it? Or is it old enough that it's all garbage now? Nick, there's a specific. So the, the, the the reason the 5200 sucks is because the cartridge port changed and the controllers changed from the other Atari 8-bit home platforms. All the 5200 is, is a, a consoleized Atari 800. 400, really. And so it runs all the same games. So I had the computer version of the 5200, basically. And I love it. You're right. That version of Pac-Man, I bought that version of Pac-Man um, with money I found on my front lawn. 
I found a $100 bill on my front lawn uh, because we lived close to a supermarket and sometimes gar- mostly garbage would blow up onto our lawn. But occasionally it was money. I found a $20 bill once and I found a $100 bill once. And so I, that's how I got that version of Pac-Man. The Atari 400-800 home computer platform, 1200XL if you must, had the same controller ports as an Atari 2600. And so you could use those same joysticks or that same, you know, there are a billion joysticks coming out for home computers. The same one the Commodore 64 used, all the, that same port across the board. The Genesis, even. You could plug a fucking Genesis controller into an Atari home computer if you really wanted to. Um, and I think that platform is an awesome platform for games, but the 5200 shitty analog joystick was so bad that any game that required any level of precision just felt mushy and terrible on it by comparison. And so that's why I say the 5200 sucked is because the Atari home computer got that same version of Star Raiders, but you were also sitting in front of a full keyboard. So you'd have to use the shitty little keypad to figure out what you needed to hit to go to your aft view, turn your shields on or off or any of that other stuff, control throttle. That was all just in front of you on the keyboard. And you just knew like, okay, well, one through 10 is going to be my throttle. S is probably shields. I forget now, honestly which button is which, but, um, so that's why I say that sucks because I will still play some fucking star Raiders, but I'm not going to play the 5,200 version, especially on the other end of all this stuff, playing all this stuff on an emulator. Sometimes those games, when you feed them digital joystick input, they run like shit. They don't control right. And so that's why that, that's why I think the 5,200 is so fucking terrible is because I had the computer version of it that had much better input and and all that sort of stuff. But that was my first, like, real, you know, yeah, I had the Channel F. Uh, to answer your question, I went back and played both. So I think there's a Channel F core for the Mr. now. And also it runs in, you know, plenty of emulators. RetroArch, I'm sure, has a Channel F core by now. Um... And the only game I went back to check out was bowling. And it's still sort of playable. You could play it. You don't want to. But I played some bowling. I was like, yeah, sure. This is what I remember as bowling. But that thing was kind of bad even then. That was not a great platform even when I had it. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the that Atari, the, yeah, the 5200 is, is just a a disappointing take on like that hardware, you know, the, the computer version of it was so much better. That was a great version of donkey Kong. God, what else? I thought it was a pretty awesome version of spy hunter. Um, and then, you know, you could get a floppy, you get a disc drive and stuff. So there are a lot of things that didn't come out on cartridge. I had a floppy disc version of Puyan, the Konami arcade classic. And played a lot of that. I love me some Puyan. Ask anyone. Ask about me. They'll tell you. Yo man you like Puyan? And I'll say yeah. Yeah I like Puyan. Hell yeah I like Puyan. That's a Konami arcade classic right there Puyan. 
and load runner you know since you had a disk drive at your disposal you could save your own levels so load runner was a, a, a classic on that platform um castle wolfenstein the not not wolfenstein 3d but the 2d castle wolfenstein that would randomly generate a castle whenever you wanted to play a new one that that's an awesome video game um but yeah the 5200 just was like kind of the watered down version of that experience with really really shitty controls so so that that's my problem with it it's not necessarily that it's it's old and that everything old is shit it's more that just like that's a that is the worst way to play some of those games bounty bob strikes back you can get a 5200 version of it it's it's, that game is expensive by the way i uh the latest installment of the jeff gersman hall of fame that is available uh on patreon only right now is me talking about minor 2049er and bounty bob strikes back which um are incredible video games and those Atari versions are the best versions of them. But after I recorded that, I had this moment. And I've never, I'm not this person. I'm, I'm so not this person. But afterwards, I was like, damn, you know what? If there was ever going to be like a game that I wanted to go out and buy a boxed copy of. Um, and like put on a wall or whatever and get it, you know, sealed in Lucite or whatever the fuck. I should get. I should get minor 2049er and I should get bounty Bob strike back strikes back. And I went and looked and like even the loose carts for some of those are hundreds of dollars. Like the, like especially like the bounty Bob and the 5200 is weird rare for some reason. And so, um, it's, it's crazy, uh, expensive. And it's too bad because I think, I, I don't know if they both did or if it was just bounty Bob strikes back, but it came with a big map. It came with a big fold out poster. And I, I'm, I can't have thrown that away. Maybe my parents did, but I, I, it just seems like something I wouldn't have thrown away. My dad was so good at not throwing away his like gun magazines and all this other stuff. He's a man who truly understood the value of hanging on to shit forever. So I don't think he would have thrown it away if it was something I left behind at the house. But I don't know. It's got to be somewhere. I need to dig. I need to dig and see if I can find it. But I know I have the loose carts, but but I definitely had a moment where I was like, man, it'd be really cool to have um, these versions of these games specifically for the Atari home computer. Cause they, they, those games came out on the 2600 and they're trash. They came out on all kinds of weird platforms. Like this is like a BBC micro version. There's a game boy version of minor 2049 or for Christ's sake. Weird, weird. Um, ben in Cincinnati Right, and it says, we all know about the industry's obsession with remaking and remastering old games to try to make a quick buck off nostalgia. But what if instead of remaking old good games, that's my new service, old good games, uh, they tried to remake games that were almost good, that either ran out of money or time, or were just a product of a green studio that didn't have the skills yet. Kind of like how CD Projekt Red is making remaking Witcher 1. That's a good, yeah. If so, what game or games do you think would be a good pick for a remake? Personally, I think an obvious one would be KOTOR 2. That's interesting because I... People just liked KOTOR 2. Like when they said they were going to remake KOTOR 2, people were like, oh yeah, awesome. Um, But yeah, KOTOR 2 with its weird cut content and stuff like that. But like people fucking love that game. So I don't know that that's a game that necessarily fits. Well... 
I mean, if we if we if we think about Witcher One as being a game that fits that uh, structure, I think Witcher One just aged poorly. I don't know. Did, did Kotor Two age poorly? Kotor Two just had some like some issues around the edges that people were happy to overlook, right? And then people found some cut content later, and 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 whatever. Oh, that's a great one. Spurious in the Twitch chat says Alpha Protocol. Yeah. I really like Alpha Protocol and it's like a uh, it's just a hair away from being everything it needs to be. It was just a little rough around the edges and and there were some ways you could spec yourself that made the boss encounters a real pain in the ass like if you just spec incorrectly. But like I yeah. Alpha Protocol, Matt, Matthew Rory's Alpha Protocol is a tremendous video game and I will love Matthew Rory forever for a variety of reasons, but it, it, him being the sole driving force that made the entirety of Alpha Protocol is certainly on the list. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I think it, it's not even necessarily that like a game came out bad because the studio was green or whatever it was. Like there are definitely some games that just like technology has gotten to a place where if you remade that game, it would be even better or it would it would get around those technical limitations and and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, hmm. Psyops, yeah. John in chat says psyops and alpha protocol. Psyops is a uh, sorry. Psyops, the mind gate conspiracy. Um. That psyops is a game that came out before physics games were really popping the way that they do now. You know, before it was just like, I don't know, hardware physics. It's all it's all there. It's all automatic. We get it for free. Uh, it's before games were really good at that sort of stuff. And then, you know, Force Unleashed came out and had some similar ideas about some of the force powers and ways you could use them and, and all that sort of stuff. But like, yeah, PsyOps was pretty cool. That's a game I, I'm going to go back and play. So maybe we'll, we'll stream some PsyOps one of these days. One of these days here. I've got a... I've got a PlayStation 2 with around here somewhere. I have a copy of PsyOps around here too, but honestly, it'd probably be better, easier to just load it onto an SD card at this point. Um, What else? Yeah, some folks saying Jade Empire. That would be, yeah, some people would certainly, some people would certainly like that. Um, Hmm. Haze? I mm, I don't. <laughs> Cannon shout saying Haze and Fracture for the PS3. Fracture. I still have like a lenticular mouse pad around here for Fracture. Uh, that was like, was that the last LucasArts game or something like that before they shut it down? Or is that RTX Red? Anyway. Um, I don't remember Fracture being anything particularly great, and I also don't remember Haze being anything great. Like a, a good remake of Haze is just like you're making a Halo campaign at that point, because that was kind of their. I feel like that was what they were going for. Was you know, from a gameplay perspective, it was really just kind of like in something similar to that Halo template. Groundflyer says, "What about Mark of Cree?" I think. If you remade Mark of Cree, you would probably smooth out all the things that made Mark of Cree interesting. 
namely the animation of the guy just one arm grabbing onto things and pulling himself up and like some of the bird stuff was like clunky but fascinating hmm Mark of Cree was good I, I, I but like maybe not like I, I don't know I don't know that I thought that Mark of Cree was amazing I know at the time there were people that were falling over themselves about it and I, I think I reviewed Mark of Cree and was probably a little more a bit more of a sobering perspective on it, whatever you want to call it. I don't know. Um, Alter Echo. I remember liking Alter Echo. That's another game that I think I should go back and play some Alter Echo one of these days. Brad Muir's Alter Echo. Um, and and see that. That's another game I reviewed. I, I remember liking the combo system in that game for sure. Bryn saying a modern remake of I Divine Cybermancy. Boy. Boy. Boy, oh boy. That's a tall order. Newport Daddy saying Deadly Premonition. What would that even be? What would, would you want? Like, would you want a remake of Deadly Premonition to like really smooth out all of the weird shit? about the way it's structured and controls and, and like there's so much of that game that feels so deliberately structured that would deliberately built like wh- what would you change I mean you know obviously you could change the control to be more modern and, and all of that sort of stuff and, and maybe that would be a minor change in the grand scheme of things but like there are still structural things about that game and, and the way you play it and the way you go through it that are like fucking weird and so if you were making it today, you probably wouldn't duplicate those elements, but you probably should duplicate those elements. Cause I feel like if you took that stuff out and just said like, okay, we found a way to like, okay, it's deadly premonition, but like now it's on par with Alan Wake quality wise, or, you know, whatever it is, like you would remove everything that makes that game quirky and special at some point. Right. If you're just left with a kind of generic third-person action-adventure game in control and in structure, I don't think Deadly Premonition is actually that interesting anymore, right? It's a product of its fucking insanity. Winky225 says, for the love of God, remake Warhawk for PlayStation 5. Which one, though? Do you want the multiplayer Warhawk thing they did, or do you want the the original PlayStation One weird flying game that is was was a pretty awesome game in its day? I guess the thing: so many genres have just fallen out of favor that, like, if you remade them now, would they work, or would they be would they just be boring to modern audiences? You know, like Twisted Metal or um, or Warhawk's another good one, like G Police. Like these kind of like mission based, you know, Wing Commander y kind of things. Like Wing Commander, but on land or wing, you know, like that type of mission structure and 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 stuff like that. Like, like G Police is really cool. It had a really awesome aesthetic. It was a really neat game in its time and, and all that stuff. But like if you remade G Police now, would anyone care? Like you modernize elements of the way it controls and looks and all that stuff, of course. But like, are you, 
just you're just making a middling like mission based yeah i don't know super raven says wizards and warriors yeah i i liked wizards and i liked wizards and warriors a lot when i was young and now i feel like i am old enough to tell you that i think all the wizards and warriors games are terrible even the first one which was the only one i liked uh back then but but yeah Rony64 says a modern day snatcher is my impossible pipe dream. Yeah. That is indeed impossible. <laughs> um, or, I mean, you could, but like you'd have to change all the elements about it that were lifted from other properties and, and from movies or, or whatever. And, um, and all that sort of stuff as well as like, yeah, that's, yeah. Someone says, give me a new comic zone. I don't mm, yeah, I mean, you could do the comic panel thing in a much better video game because Comic Zone is actually a really good example of a game that was almost good. You know, it had that comic book panel element to it where you're like, oh, this is really f- like a fascinating look and, a, you know, this is interesting. But boy, oh boy, I hate every single thing about the way this video game plays. Ugh. Hulk Ultimate Destruction, AJ in the Discord says that. That's a good example. Um... Redgrave says, I want a version of prototype that isn't terrible. Prototype's not terrible. Prototype's kind of kind of terrible. Maybe prototype is terrible. No, prototype's not terrible. Prototype was cool. It's fine. It was a very a totally average video game. An absolutely average video game. A couple folks on the Discord are also talking about Gauntlet. Um Simba says, when was the last Gauntlet game? The last Gauntlet game was an XBLA. No, it wasn't. It was, it was, uh, it came out on PlayStation 4. Yeah, it was like a PS4 era downloadable game. Um, that's like not good. (laughs) Um, it's not, it's not enough of a rogue. It would be, it would probably be pretty decent as a rogue light, but it's not enough of one of those. It's just missing a lot of the, like they could go further in the direction of making it an action RPG, like a Diablo or like an arcade Diablo. And that seems to be what kind of what they tried to do with it. I don't think they hit it. Like it, it, that's a, that's a rough, that is a rough video game, that gauntlet remake in terms of just like, man, this is, uh, no one wants to play this. Um, let's move on here. Uh, Joe was the person who wrote in with a conspiracy theory about Call of Duty and NVIDIA cards. Um, Okay, Uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 appears to have major performance issues on NVIDIA cards at launch, a problem which appears to have been made worse by a driver update for a random game that hit immediately prior to its launch. Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 also does not have any ray tracing options or support. Given the numerous shitbird business practices we have observed from NVIDIA in the past year, I can't help but think that this is not a coincidence, but conspiracy, and that NVIDIA is purposely trying to tank the Modern Warfare 2 launch as retaliation for the lack of any ray tracing. Am I wrong? P.S. I don't mean to insinuate Activision Blizzard or any kind of victim. Fuck them, too. <laughs> okay. Um, I... 
Okay, that's probably not true. But before this email came in, when the game was running really poorly, and I remembered installing those drivers just a day before that only mentioned Sackboy and F1 and some of this other stuff, there was a part of me that was like, okay, I'm going to relaunch Call of Duty, and is there an AMD logo at the front of this game? What the fuck happened? Did they partner with the other graphics card maker, and that's why there's no day one drivers for this? Like, what? Like... It seems like something happened. Did they did they just not provide the game? I assume they have to provide the game to Nvidia to do some kind of driver work for it. I don't I don't know how that process works. Of like, however, the Nvidia driver optimizations are done. I I, I don't know anything about it. Um, but there's no AMD logo at the front of that game either. So it's not like, not like they did a marketing deal with them that I saw. But um. Yeah, that's uh, a Jack move says, I think it's entirely possible that the game was deprioritized because there was no marketing deal. I suppose, I suppose that that could be the case. There's an option. Speaking of which, speaking of modern warfare two, there is an option in there, uh, that lets you bypass all the startup logos. If you go in there and turn it on, you should go in there and turn it on. If you're going to play that game, but you do have to go in and turn it on. Um, James from Baltimore writes and says all the discussions of when will the next generation of video games start focuses on the power of the consoles or the fidelity of the games that the console can support but what I've been expecting from games since the PlayStation 3 are size and depth I remember putting 100 plus hours into multiple PlayStation 2 RPGs but very few games that could support such devotion have come out and not just RPGs, large sandboxes come out that tout their large worlds, but are full of empty buildings and large open spaces. I remember early PlayStation four hype talking about being able to go into every building. And if you see that mountain, you can climb it. I know games are hard to make. And now that I'm an adult with a nine to five, I doubt I'll ever put that time into a game, but where are these super long and super deep games? They're MMOs now, right? I mean, they're live games. They're like, hey, season three of Destiny is out and we put new activities in and, and you know, like that's the, like that's where those games live now. It's, it's you know, it's, what is it's Lost Ark. It's Final Fantasy 14. It's, uh, it's stuff like that. Um, But yeah, the creating content for video games, it feels like that that stuff has only become more expensive as the graphical fidelity has gone up. That's the thing, you know, like where does this, where does this model completely break? That's why I, that's part of why I think when Microsoft does get around to raising prices, one of the things they'll do is, is they'll move games to $70. Um, it's the, this, this, this process of generating 4k assets, 8k assets in some cases, if these new graphics cards are going to be catered to, um, it's expensive work, you know, and, and you have so many, so much of the artwork and, and, you know, you have all these asset teams that are being done, uh, being, being brought onto games, uh, by outsourcing 
managers and all that other stuff, like studios coming on to just work on, like, we need these rocks to look good. We need to take us photos and photogrammetry these photos up and make sure that it all looks outstanding. And, you know, it's why when they started talking about Unreal Engine 5 and the lighting and some of this other stuff, a lot of what they were talking about is like, this is stuff that's going to be very easy and automatic for uh, developers to do so that smaller teams can take advantage of this power because that was the problem that you've been running into for a while now is like the only companies that can afford to truly take advantage of advancements in engine technology and hardware and all this other stuff were teams that had large enough sizes to put people against those features or to go outsource and be like, Oh, okay, here, bring, we're going to bring this team on and they're going to make sure that this lighting looks good or these textures look good across all platforms or, you know, whatever it is you're going to draw, you're going to go get a bunch of models for really good lamps that are going to be on everyone's desk in this game and and all that sort of stuff and so as games be started looking more and more realistic just the cost of generating the artwork kept going up and up and up and up now that we're seeing more you know like i said the engines are are starting to find ways to make lighting a little more automated and and so that's something that you know maybe you can click a button and and get most of the way there or get some of the way there and 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 save some time Will we see things like um, AI upresing of assets, which some people have done? I've seen some folks take textures from old games and run them through an AI process that upreses them and then put them back into the game. And I think that's fascinating. Um, but like, are, will we see more like, oh, well, we generated these assets and, and it makes sense for remaster work and stuff like that in some cases where you're not going to make all new assets. If you're doing a kind of bare bones remaster is just like, oh, we AI upscaled the textures and we smoothed out the models. Put in some more NURBS um, and all that sort of stuff. Like there's, there's, yeah, you know, maybe we'll see more and more of that as time goes on. But yeah, I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, your, your long games, your big open long games, like that, that, that stuff, those are live games now. Those are games that want to sell you another season of content. They want to sell you a hot battle pass, whatever it is, um, to keep you engaged with it for as long as possible. And so, you know, now the, the big single player games, like, you know, you, you still have your decently long RPGs, but they're not going to necessarily be hundred hour games. I don't even feel like we're getting the 40 hour games all that often anymore. Okay, we got a few more here. Um, Neil in Arizona writes in and says, you mentioned on a recent podcast that the stricter rules you once applied to your game's coverage have become more flexible over the years. Have you had other changes in your gaming or gaming industry views that have surprised you? Any opinions that would have hardened any opinions that have hardened and you've perhaps felt vindicated about? Um, I think for, for me, the, the thing that I've, the thing that I softened up on the most, um, the thing that I really disliked really, really strongly 
was people using this line of work as a stepping stone to get into game development. Um, like that, that was the big one for me because it was always the case of just like, Hey, if you're trying to stay on the, the good side of people at game publishers, because you want to work for one of them someday, how can I trust you to be completely honest in your views um, in your reviews when it comes to talking about games. And there's always things you can point to where like, oh, hey, did you see that this person at this publication just made the jump and went over to this studio? Oh, look, they just happened to review that studio's most recent game. They sure did really like it, even though that game's not very good. Or, hey, this this person sure did spend a a lot of time talking about this publisher in the year before they went to go work there. Um, which, you know, Hey, if you're a fan like that's, if I were to go work at a studio and I would like to work at a studio where I was a fan of their games. So, you know, that, that shit's going to happen. But the review thing is really grimy, um, grimy, grimy. So, the thing that I've softened on is the realization of just some people are fucking not in this and and I'm not even in this the way that I was 20 years ago, you know? Um, But I definitely worked with people over the years who were very clearly interested in making video games and other people who hit it better. (laughs) Um, But like I, you know, I, there was a case where someone I was working with was on vacation and they handled news at the time. And so that meant all the press releases were coming to their address because we were not smart enough to set up email addresses, email aliases that went to a a group. There was no like news alias. It was just like all the press releases went to these accounts. And so when that person went on vacation, uh, he said, Hey, uh, you know, just, just check my email. And, and, you know, when you have to write up news and do this other stuff, all that stuff comes to me, just check my email. So I had access to this person's email for like a week and there was an email in there with footage of a game that this person was working on that was based on a license and they were trying to pitch it, uh, to the publisher that held the rights to the license. And, you know, when, when people got back from vacation or whatever event they were out at, whatever it was, I had to sit down and be like, Hey, you, you can't do this job and do that thing that you're trying to do. Like, it's just not fucking compatible. And that was an extreme case. That was a very extreme case where you literally had like assets, a game you're trying to shop around, you know, that's crazy. Um, that was a very long time ago. Uh, but, you know, the, the people, um, this line of work, the, the game journalism thing, um, and you've seen it time and time again over the last handful of months here even, there's fucking zero job security in it. The pay sucks shit, generally speaking. Um, most of the people in this line of work, in in that line of work, I don't know. I don't know what my line of work is anymore. I I don't, I don't have a good name for it. It's, 
is still, I'm still in that life to an extent, but you know, it's not like I'm fucking turning press releases into news stories or, or whatever anymore. Um, it's a, it's a fucking grind. There's zero respect from all angles. The audience thinks you're on the take or fucking whatever. You know, you get all the fucking bullshit from all those fucking people. Um, the people you work for, your bosses think that they can replace you with some kid fresh out of college any day. So there's zero job security. You have zero fucking leverage. It's awesome that some of these places have found ways to unionize. Not that that necessarily saves them from the chopping block, but you know, hopefully at least gives them a little bit of dignity. Um, and so I can't blame anyone for doing what they got to do to fucking survive. Right. I mean, especially because, you know, there, there are not a lot of people that stay in this line of work for a very long time because eventually they top out and go like, Oh, you know, if I, like, I have to change positions. I have to go somewhere else if I want to, you know, keep advancing in some kind of career and all this other stuff. And that's why a lot of people end up making the move into, you know, I'll, to go be a producer somewhere or to, you know, get into community management at a publisher or, or whatever it is. I look at those moves now and just go like, that makes total sense. Um, there's no, you know, there's no, fucking loyalty from the bosses at these places right there there's no the enthusiast press the you know the blogs the you know, whatever like all these places out there that are still out there and there are fewer of them now than there were a few months ago right um you know they, they don't care about the individuals that work there on a, on a, I mean, maybe they'd like, oh, hey, this is a nice guy. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, like, like I've had relationships with managers before. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's cool, man. That's, yes, yes. I, I love coming to this meeting and talking about wrestling with you or, you know, whatever it is. Um, and so, but on a large scale level, the organization doesn't really care about any of those fucking people. They're all super expendable. And also remember, you know, these days, shit, shit, man, like everything's extra brutal. You know, we, we talk about like the talk about the lack of, um, big games and big momentum around huge releases and, and all that sort of stuff. Like that's another thing that a lot of these gaming outlets are going to feel is like fewer big launches then translates into less ad money around those big launches. You know, what did Microsoft spend ad money on this year? Probably a lot of Game Pass stuff. Maybe they spent the same amount of money, but also like I, I, I would not be shocked if they spent less money. Um, especially if like the console's hard to get and all this other stuff. Like it advertises itself, you know, like whatever. It's There's demand there already. And so... There's been a thing happening for a while now where like go look at like YouTube views around different types of content and stuff like this. This is a conversation that comes up whenever 
you know, an indie developer says like, oh, I can't believe like they won't cover this indie game. I, I'm trying to get my game covered. What do I do? What am I doing wrong? Like all this other stuff. And look at the things that, that traffic well um, from a lot of established websites or just look at like how some of them are doing dismal views across the board on YouTube. You can't always, you know, the YouTube number is not sacrosanct. You know, they're going to have videos up on their own site. They're going to do this and that. But like, you can at least get a sense of like, how's it going? You've got X number of millions of subscribers. How many views is that translating to on a per video? Like things just look fucking bad out there. So when I think about the places that have shut down or been sold um, over the course of the last few months here, I just look at it and go like, this is, it's fucking grim and it's going to get worse. Because I don't think the ad money is there to support these places the way it was years ago. Um, And so there's just a lot of... A lot of stuff feels real bad right now. A lot of stuff feels real, real bad right now. Um, And so I, I look at stuff like... I look at the stuff that's happening out there and, and like who's, who's buying what, if I may just remain vague, I guess. And just go like, that doesn't, that's not, a, mm, mm, mm. that's not a, mm. or like what's, you know, what, what ads are running on IGN? What are they, you know, cause they're, they're far and away the biggest, right? When it comes to the kind of t- traditional media outlet type of thing. Um, yeah, and it's just, it's a, it's a, the landscape is, is really wild right now. Um, so anyway, I, I, that's a long winded way of saying like, I, yeah, that is the thing I have softened on the most is like, yeah. Um, people did not get into writing about games and say like, this is going to be my life. I, I kind of did, um, and it's worked out for me, but it, it almost shouldn't have, <laughs> you know, like it, it's, uh, I am on a weird ride and I have been for the last several decades and there is no blueprint for what the fuck, how I got here. Um, a lot of other people would have bailed out for a video game job by now. That has never felt that has never felt super right to me. There have been a couple of times over the years where people are like, hey, well, what about, you know, hey, you want to come over here and do this? And um and it's been intriguing. Um but never felt quite right. And I don't know. I I love doing this. Have I ever considered going into game development? Like not not really like, yes, but I guess it's more that like opportunities have occasionally presented themselves. I'm just like, Oh, this is a thing I could do. I could, I could get off this weird roller coaster and see what this other weird roller coaster is like. Um, and this is, you know, Hey, uh, it's been working out for me so far. I have, I have no complaints, honestly. Um, this has been, this has been great. I love, I love doing this. I really love doing this and I want to do this for as long as I'm, as long as I'm able, as long as I'm allowed to do it. Um, and I hope that that is for decades. That is, 
you know, that is my goal. But like, you know, if the bottom falls out of um, these sorts of industries or, or, or in terms of just like the value of the press or, you know, like, like if that sort of stuff completely falls apart, then, you know, I, I got, I got, I got kids that need to eat. And so I'll figure something out, you know, and whether that's working in game development, which was, would seem like the likely move would be like, well, could turn this into something over there. I don't know. I don't know. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. Like the, the, the short version of, I, there's no, like, I don't really have like, a, I, I have a plan for what I'm doing right now and what I would like this to look like in a few years. You know what I mean? And so that's the direction I'm moving in. In the back of my mind, there's always like a, well, if this whole thing blows up, I'll have to figure something out. And, um, because I, you know, with how my career is gone for as awesome as it's been. And, and, and is, you know, again, like I said, I don't really have too many complaints about it. Um, getting fired gets you to a point where you're just like, okay, I got to be on the lookout for what's going to happen next. Am I, where, where's the knife coming from or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but it is that thing of just like, okay. Um, like you kind of have to keep thinking about, all this sort of stuff. Yeah, that's, it's, you know. Escapee says, become the oldest rapper. There's a weird. Sometimes when I listen, I don't, I don't listen to them anymore, but there was a while that I was listening to a lot of the old wrestler podcasts. You know, the Jim Ross and, and some of those other, some of those other shows. And Jim Ross in particular, because he always makes everything about, um, sports always kind of comes back to this, um, analogy of just like, you know, if you take off the Jersey, you, you don't get to play. You know, if you, if you, if you cash in the, if you, if you are, if you take yourself out of the game, you're out of the game. And so it's something that I find like weirdly relatable and maybe I shouldn't, maybe that's maybe you know, the, the actual truth is probably a lot more flexible than, than how I'm about to phrase it. But it is that feeling of like, if I stop doing this, I can't come back. You know, if I, if I get off this ride and go work for a game company or become a consultant or something like that, like I can't do this anymore. You know, it wouldn't make sense for me to do this anymore in a reduced fashion or, or, or something like that. So, so I always look at it as like, I, I don't want to, I'm not ready to stop doing this. And I don't know that I ever will be, which is crazy too, but I don't know. It's fucking weird. Like I said, you know, it's, um, It's really strange out there. I'm, I feel like I am mostly insulated from it over here. Um, doing my own thing. And uh, again, I'll, you know, say thank you for enabling me to, to do that outside of the, like, there's so many things I don't ever have to think about, you know, like Amazon prime day or, you know, or, or, uh, you know, the, the, like, who's going to sponsor this and who's going to sponsor that? Like, you know, maybe I get to a point where, uh, cause I, I do want to do bigger things. And, um, 
you know, so, so maybe there's some element of like the business of this stuff that I have to be thinking about a little bit more than I am now, um, as it continues to grow. But, um, but yeah, no, thank you for your support on this. Again, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash Jeff Gerstman, um, for more details on, on the Patreon. Uh, it's the first of the month. That is not as meaningful as it once was because uh, we have changed over to subscription billing on Patreon. So you will basically get a month of subscription no matter when you sign up. So if you hear this podcast and it's near the end of a month, you don't have to worry about like, oh, if I sign up on the 25th, I'll get charged again on the first or, or whatever it was. Um, and um, and yeah, so so thanks to everyone for for um for backing the brand. I don't know. What are we, you know, like what's, what's another wrestling uh, where pros are pros. I don't know. What, I don't, anyway. Um, what else? Oh, we got a couple more emails here. Let's get the room and, and, and get out of here. Jeff from Connecticut writes in and says, uh, with embracer starting up its own video game library, and several several other acquisitions over the years of legacy IP, I wonder if one of Embracer's next acquisition targets might be whatever form Atari is taking these days. Huge IP library, lots of history, etc. Not sure what they would do with it, but it couldn't be worse than what Atari is currently doing, right? Sure. sure. Yeah. I, I, I don't think that uh, Embracer starting its own video game library is necessarily a... Um an indicator that they're looking to acquire IP. They're, they're looking to acquire IP um, no matter what, you know, like that, that just seems like the, the path that they're on. And, um, and yeah, I could see Atari being something that they buy. Sure. Why not? Right. Uh, that, that seems to fit the weird, like big slate of strange IP that Embracer seems to, occasionally look for it at a lower level this it would not be a gearbox level of acquisition obviously because gearbox is still making modern relevant games for better or worse um i played some more new tales from the borderlands by the way and i hmm, did not like did not like where that game started to get to seems like i'm not alone in that i didn't i didn't play a, a lot of the original tales from the borderlands but generally it seems like people that were fans of that game uh, seem to be really dis- extra disappointed. Um, anyway, yeah, I, I could see Embracer buying Atari. Sure, you know uh, it would it would fit with a lot of the other some of the other stuff that they've picked up and and all that. So yeah, I you know I, I don't know that that would be a yeah you're right. It couldn't be worse than what Atari is currently doing. I guess I don't know. Like well, whatever. Atari's about to put out that Atari Fifty thing that digital eclipse is doing and that looks really awesome. So, um, so I want to see that thing and that's not that far off. Um, but, but yeah, other than that, that Atari mania thing was disappointing and yeah, there's a lot of, uh, not great Atari stuff over the last few years here. And then this, I don't, the, hmm. I starred this email hastily. I don't, well, all right. 
John writes in and says, I started playing backgammon about three years ago. I play in online tournaments a lot and saw a familiar name in one of my tournament brackets. I thought to myself, huh, what a weird and specific alias to use instead of your real name. Turns out the Tommy Tallarico is lighting up the backgammon scene. Heard this article in the USBGF quarterly magazine. Thought this might be something you wanted to know. And he has supplied a PDF here that I'm opening. Against my better judgment. It is a player profile and interview with Tommy Tallarico. Aspire to achieve. Those words capture the experience of video game composer slash designer, TV host, and live show creative director Tommy Tallarico. Who recently dove into backgammon. Joined the Orange County Backgammon Club over the summer. And went to his first live tournament in September. I don't know what year this was. I don't know what year this was made. Uh, let's see. Uh, Tommy had a superb achievement in Denver, bringing home three trophies and posting a scintillating 17 wins with only two losses. He finished first in the Warrior Jackpot, first in the DMP event, and first in the Warrior ABT Consolation. The director of the Orange County Backgammon Club, Mario Savan, interviews Tommy below. Um... Yeah, this is a pretty recent. Uh, this is a pretty recent interview from some of the other stuff he mentions in here. Um, yeah, okay. So Tommy Tallarico got into playing backgammon with his father when his father uh, fell ill, and has kept playing backgammon as as time goes on. So, so yes. Uh, last question: Where can someone find you if they wanted to play you? I'm mostly on backgammon studio heroes under the name. Tommy Houdini. My PR is still a whopping 14, but each week it's getting a little smaller. So much to learn still, but it's been a fun process. I look forward to the next tournaments in Las Vegas and Los Angeles. I hope to make new friends along the way. That's awesome. I don't know. I didn't, uh, I didn't know how to play. I still, I, I, I have forgotten how to play backgammon. I, at one point learned how to play backgammon specifically to play the Xbox live arcade backgammon game that came out. Because I wanted to get all the achievements in it. Uh, was it hard, Hardwood Backgammon? I forget the actual name of it. But but along the way, I fucking learned how to play Backgammon. And I was like, you know what? This is alright. Backgammon, huh? And then I played a little bit more Backgammon than maybe I thought I was going to. And then haven't played probably since a year after that thing came out on XBLA and, and since then I have largely forgotten how to play backgammon. But maybe I should get back, I don't know, maybe I should get back into backgammon. I don't know. That's, you know, are people putting stuff up their butts to cheat at backgammon? That's the interview I want to read. Maybe I could be the first. Maybe I could pioneer uh, that level of technology in the, in the backgammon scene. <laughs> um... Anyway, that's going to do it for emails. Podcast at guard.bike is that email address. Send in your emails over there and I'll read them and all that sort of stuff. I, this is, I, the emails, I don't, I don't necessarily intend for the back end of this show to get weird introspective. It just seems like that that's been happening lately. Yeah. It's like I said, it's, you know, it's something that, uh, I've been thinking about for a while now. And I think the, the everything that happened at Fanbyte uh really kind of brought a lot of that into focus and then the G4 situation of course 
only underscores it that like it's uh it's it's wild out there right now it's it's really it's really wild out there and um you know i i don't want to i don't ever intend to say that anyone writing about video games is above criticism that's certainly certainly not um but i i think the thing to remember like i said the the job security so it's it it can be a really for for as much as it is ostensibly about playing video games and telling people what you think about them or reporting on things around video games which can be fun um it is also still a very real work uh of, of a media and writing variety and the people that are doing it are oftentimes not getting paid well to do it and so when you see some writers getting abuse out there from the perspective of someone going like, well, you're some highfalutin member of the media. Like what the fuck are you talking about? Like this there's very little highfalutin about writing about video games for a living. And, and the, there's just not a, there's, there's not a lot of job security out there. There's, there's fewer positions than ever. And, like I said, I think a lot of the people take, um, most of the people in, most of the people in their employ in situations like this to be very replaceable. And so it's just a, it's a, there's, especially lately, it's just been a, a kind of a, a grimy, weird field. Um, it's always been weird, but it just, I don't know, these last few years, I've just felt especially brutal. And then, you know, it brings it into sharp relief when I think about stuff like, like I said, Fanbyte, G4, shutting down the the layoffs at Future, some of the other stuff, some of the other sales and stuff going around and, and people changing homes and all that. Like it's, it just, it, it feels real strange out there. I feel very, um, well, I, you know, I've always felt very privileged to be able to do anything like this for a living. I'll say, um, like I said, not that long ago, I think it was on game boys to men. Like one of the coolest, it, it's, it's really neat. And it's something you have to keep in check because you have to be even keeled. You have to be, you have to remember that you're there to report things or, or, or that you're, you're doing things for an audience, not for an industry. But at the same time, I feel very fortunate to have been in situations where it's like, I'm one of the first people in the world outside of the people that made this game to be able to play it. Or I'm here in the room while this game is being announced or like I'm standing right next to Shigeru Miyamoto as he gets angry about, um, IGN posting screenshots of a Zelda game that they weren't supposed to post. Um, you know, the, 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 I, I, um, I feel very, very lucky to have been able to do anything like this for as long as I have and and to be able to continue doing it, um, feels like this, you know, like like I said, the, the, when you take into account just how poorly a lot of people in this line of work are thought of by the bean counters and by the general managers and by all the middle managers, uh, across this business, across the decades. It's not even a recent thing, just since the beginning. Um, 
in some ways it's very weird that I'm still able to do this. Um, you know, and, and most sane people would have moved on right now by now to go do something else. But I just, I just fucking love this shit too much. I don't know. It's, it's probably a character flaw. A sane person would have gotten off the front lines by now and fucking been like, no, I can, I, maybe I can go be an associate producer and work my way up or something. But, um, uh, I, I love talking about this shit with you. I love doing, I love podcasting. Um, and I, I, lo- I love, I love podcasting. That's a, that's a, that's a big part of, you know, the last, the last 15 years, my, the last, the, the second half of, of my current career, however long it goes, um, is, is really been, you know, the, the audio stuff, the podcast stuff, all that stuff. I really just, I really love it. Um, and I really love that I'm able to continue bringing it to you every fucking Tuesday, uh, whether you like it or not, God damn it. Um, and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, I love, I love getting my hands on bad games, middling, mediocre games, great games. Just like, like I love being able to check this shit out. And I got an email this morning about a thing that I didn't know was coming and it's coming very soon. And it was like a, a, an upcoming release of a, I'll be vague cause I have to be, but it was, it was, I, I got a code for a thing that I didn't even know was a thing until I read my email this morning and I was very excited about it. I was like, Holy shit, I'm going to install this right fucking now. Oh my God. Um, it's just, it can be a fun, surprising business and, um, it's, fun to look at the business end of it sometimes and see how that plays into the decisions that get made and um because it's become such a ruthless fucking business ass business i mean think about the whole middle chunk of the show we were talking about profits are down revenues down they missed this target they missed this like stuff that like you know it makes sense in the context of like yeah we're coming out of a pandemic where people stayed at home and played video games you know, quarter over quarter, year over year, some of those numbers are not going to look great. That's probably part of it too, but I, whatever it's, it's, um, I, I love this shit. I love this shit and they can't, they can't get rid of me. <laughs> um, as much as they, as much as they keep fucking trying, uh, I am somehow still doing this fucking shit. So thank you for, your support and enabling me to continue to do this shit. I hope you like listening to it as much as I enjoy making it. And we'll be back next Tuesday. I'll be around streaming stuff this week. I got to figure out my schedule. My glasses are ready. I'm going to go get fucking glasses. I have a stigmatism and I'm going to get glasses finally after years of needing them. And then I'm really curious. Is that going to make me better? Am I going to am I going to line up headshots better if I can see better? I have to know. That I I got to so so anyway, I got to go pick up my glasses. I don't know if that's going to interrupt the normal kind of Wednesday Friday streaming schedule, whatever. We'll figure something out. It'll, that but that's the plan. I'll be here Wednesday, I'll be here Friday unless I end up going to get my glasses on one of those days and then I'll probably be on Mixler talking about my fucking glasses. I don't know. Anyway, I'll see you when I see you. 
Uh, no matter what happens, I'll be back here next Tuesday uh, to talk at you about video games and all this other stuff. I got to reach out to, there's a couple people I need to see about uh, getting on the show as a guest. And I got to follow up on some interview stuff to try to make that happen sooner rather than later. But um, there you have it. Uh, I'll be back next week with more of this shit. Thank you.